Hola. Hola, Charlito. Charlito. Hola, Charlie. Hey Charlie. Okay, Charlie. Is your name Charles? It's Charlie, not Charles. My brother Jose, as we affectionately call him Hove, or many know him as the most interesting man in the world. Frat, but more like a biological brother of mine. How you doing, brother? I'm happy that you're here, man. Likewise, I'm fantastic. Yeah? Thank you very much for having me. This has been one of the best things that have come out of 2020. (laughs) Charlie Not Charles podcast. Charlie Not Charles podcast. Uh, I think this is something that you are uh, uh, really tailor-made to to do. I always, Mm. always thought you were the mayor. Of uh, everywhere we went, so this 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 kind of fits now. You could be the digital digital man. There we go. There we go. But the most interesting man in the world uh, part is kind of like a uh, it's kind of like an inside joke because of how boring I I, I, I no. probably really am in real life. Oh, you're so self-deprecating. <laughs> um, we're gonna get into that because Jose was wasn't always this self-deprecating. <laughs> but you know, Jose is someone that knows a lot about a lot. And I think that is the reason why people give you the title the most interesting man in the world. Um, and not only do you know, uh, you know, you, like you do your work, you do your research, um, you're a great conversationalist, you're a good friend, you know, one of my closest friends. Um, and we all have like similar histories. You know, we went to college together, went to rival high schools maybe. Yeah, yeah. Spelman. Spellman, yeah, Hayes. You know, maybe you guys thought you guys were rivals, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know. I mean, we're talking sports then, obviously. Yeah, we're talking sports. You guys got us. But, But, you know, alumni, you guys have what? Justice Sotomayor? Yeah, yeah, just just a Supreme Court justice. Just a Supreme Court justice. What, you guys got Regis? (laughs) We got Regis. Jamal Mashburn. Jamal Mashburn. Guess who else? Uh, I don't know. Favorite comedian. He's the he's the most famous Hayes man that never graduated Hayes. Uh, I don't know who's that. Uh, Carlin, George Rich Carlin. Oh, George Carlin. He went out there for three semesters oh. and he got kicked out. Well, that 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 makes sense. Yeah, that, yeah, that yeah, completely yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And someone else, big time dude. I don't know who's big, bigger. Big than time Carlin. in film. Big time in film. I don't know who's bigger than George Carlin in my mind. Think think uh, movies dealing Samuel with gangsters. Denzel. No, not Denzel. Think about directors. Oh, Scorsese. Scorsese. Scorsese went to to Hayes. You know, um, my dean of discipline actually played the detective in the movie. Uh, Goodfellas. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a dean from the school. Yeah, yeah. But there's another person. Legend. Legendary cat. I don't know. You're going to have to give me something. Um, Dude, it's me, bro. Stop, stop. Yeah, man. Charlie. Thank you so much for trooping it out here today. Of course, of course. Man, so, all right, so it was my fault, right? Um, like how it always is, right? I thought that you were scheduled for tomorrow because my, my boy Bert's uh, birthday is today. Shout, Shout out to Bert. Bert. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Bert. Um, 4-0, 4-0. There we go. Four, the big 4 yeah. right? So I was like, all right, so the 23rd, I'm going to schedule it to, I'm sure he's going to have a dinner or something like that. It turned out 
that this was one of the very few podcasts that I had scheduled for Saturday, right? <laughs> so, you know, whatever, I finagle something with Bert, we're having dinner tomorrow, and I'm getting ready for the podcast with Jose today. And next thing you know, I keep texting Jose, like, yo, he's, Jose, he's getting ready, and, and, <laughs> and I'm in my backyard with chancletas on, Word. my feet up, Word. just Word. finished a long day of work. Word. About to light a cigar myself. Yeah, yeah. And then Charlie keeps texting me, just saying, hey, like, you know. <laughs> take, yeah, your take, your, <laughs> take your time. Take your time. You asked me about what I want to eat, what do you want to drink. I got the parking spot for you. I was like, wow, this guy, he's, he's really taking this serious. He's, he's 24 hours in advance. 24 hours in advance. <laughs> he's planning. You're like, oh, wow. Like, he really thinks it's going to take me more than 24 hours to get there. To get there, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and meanwhile, I'm at home having a bet with Eliza about, uh, if you will be late to your own house. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll show up and he will not even be there. My mother says that, uh, you know, no, probably it wasn't my mother because my mother would have joked around about my death. But uh, someone said, you're so late that you probably be late to your own funeral. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so hey, if it was possible, if, if anybody could do it. It would be me. Yeah. It would be me. <laughs> but um, so you trooped it out from the Bronx. You know, glad that you made it out safely. The Shadowlands. <laughs> the Bronx. The Bronx. Where, where exactly in the Bronx do you live? I I grew up in the South Bronx. Okay. Uh, by that's why you have a little edge to you. Yeah, I get a little, it. A little bit of an edge. Spent yeah. a lot of my life in the South Bronx, mm. and um, and then I live in the uh, kind of I guess the north or the East Bronx. Mm. I guess you, you would call. How would you describe that area? Because you know I joke around a lot with you and. Yeah, my my you know my interpretation not my interpretation but my perception of the Bronx is like South Bronx because yeah. I went to Hayes and yep. South Bronx was obviously a I, lot closer to up, Harlem. I grew up across the park from Hayes, Franz Siegel, right. right 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 around right down the street from Hayes. Really? Yeah. I always wanted to go to Hayes my whole life until we had the open house. I went in. It's kind of dark. No girls. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll go an hour up for spelling. Right, 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 right. right. That's funny. That's I'll funny. Do it. How would you describe that section in the BX? Because I know it, there it was pretty diverse. I, I it's, saw it's it's a family community. It's a community. It's really an, it's an immigrant community. Mm. There's a, a blend of uh, Bangladesh, African, Eastern European, uh, uh, in the in the neighborhood Indian. Mm. Uh, and, and obviously I'm Dominican, Dominicans, right. Latinos, African-Americans. So it's a, it's a really kind of unique place. Whereas when I, when I first got there along, uh, probably like maybe 15, no, no, actually 20 years ago now, uh, uh, when I first got to that part of the Bronx, it was not like that. And then mm -hmm. over the years, it's just more, uh, uh, but I love it because it's, it's kind of like a reminder every day of why people want to be here right you know, why people come here right you know, to this country i mean and um and also the struggles of those people that that get here because right. we're we're you know first generation here right but we grew up we didn't see our parents i mean we we were there but you can't really be that present when you're a child and you see it but like you see these people build community and get things together they buy up all the homes together for each other right right um, um which is which is great but no it's a really it's a Good community to be in, uh, you know. I know, you know. Shout out to Frank's Dry Cleaner. Shout out to Circle, <laughs> Circle Pizza. You know, Local Joe and Mario with the best, the best pizza in the Bronx. That's what's up. That's yeah. what's up, man. You know, I talk a lot of shit, but 
Seven now with you. Seven out of my eleven guests have all been from the Bronx. Yeah, I pointed that out to you last did, last you week because because you, you always have a you always have a a nice uh, backhanded Bronx compliment. Like, you know, like wow, you're really intelligent for someone in the Bronx. Yeah, I remember. Uh, shout out to Tasha from uh, from Buffalo. Uh, one time, uh, the first time I met her, she had advanced, you know, and I was like, oh, they can afford that in the Bronx. <laughs> Damn, Tosh. Love you, Tosh. She was always fresh. That's why we always went back and forth, and that's why that's why that's the homie. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's funny. You just said that you were Dominican or that you were Latino, and uh, someone picks up his head. He was like, "What? This light skinned dude with green eyes?" That that happens to me often. Yeah. Would imagine happened to me my my whole life. Interesting. I was the whitest thing in like a. 10 mile radius in my neighborhood so that's funny yeah. that's funny that's funny so how's the family man wonderful man the Thank wife kids shout much. out to eliza what's up eliza shout how you out doing to my boo, what's up? yeah uh great man great i can't i can't I, I couldn't have asked for for more you know being a father being a husband is is for me probably the the most important thing i could do mm. uh and the the most difficult thing I've been charged with, mm. and um, you know I take it seriously, and and um, so it's it's been the most rewarding mm. thing I've ever had to kind of embark on in my life. So right, love it. You know, whenever you talk about it, I always listen because I was, you know, as you know, I don't have any children. That we know. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry. That we know. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> forget that I'm talking to Jose here. <laughs> this is going to be fun. Um, so, yeah, and um, so whenever I, I, I listen to you talk about, about your children, because, yeah. you know, obviously you just had new baby girl. You know, congratulations Thank on that much. just a few months ago. Beautiful baby yes. girl. Um, you know, it, it's interesting to hear you talk about it, because uh, for the most part, you, you know, I would describe you as somewhat reserved. You know, when it comes to your children, you're very expressive, and that's yeah. a beautiful thing to see. And that, that was something that was surprising to my wife, who I've known since I was 14 for a mm. long time. And she was like, wow, like, just looking at you, it's like, I can't believe. She's like, she tells me every day, she's like, this is the best version of you that I've mm. known. And uh, uh, which, which you know, I, I really appreciated that. Because, right. again, it's something that I, I, I actively work hard to be good at. Right, and, right. Um, yeah, but no, I mean, I love, I love my kids. They gave my life real, real meaning. Mm. And, you know, Phoenix, she's born during Such this whole... Such a beautiful name. Thank you so much, man. Uh, born during this whole pandemic. And um, it was an interesting experience, like, right at the beginning of it. But, you know, I know that this time period has brought a lot of tragedy for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes I feel strange even kind of like, you know, talking about all the good things. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. But, I mean, really, it's just, it's it's been a, almost a gift to have the time at home and to have had that time a few months back where kind of in a sense the world stopped and I was able to live in this kind of bubble with just my family mm. and watch my seed literally bloom and it was incredible you know speaking of blooming uh, a few months ago uh, we went to the beach and I was yeah. able to you know hang out with your son Hunter yeah. shout out to Hunter right. he seemed very polished polite just very pleasant to be around. I would imagine that uh, most parents would find it hard to have a child to conduct themselves in that manner, mm -hmm. you know? And um, so I give you props. I give Eliza a lot of props. 
you know, that doesn't stop him from bullying me from time to time, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but it's all good. I eat those. You know, what's interesting is He was that, upset when I told him, I was like, he said, where are you going? Because I had to kind of like leave abruptly. So you want to see Charlie. Charlie! <laughs> <laughs> they probably menaced me, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, so it, it's interesting that you talk about that experience changing you. You know, how was it when he was born? Like, uh, I know you had a pretty emotional moment um, when Eliza gave birth to him. Yeah, I think like like a lot of men, you know, you don't cry often mm. or at all. And, um, you know, I hadn't cried. You know, I couldn't even remember mm. was the last time I cried. And not a, like, you know, like, obviously it wasn't a, a cry of pain. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I always jokingly but seriously say that, you know, I didn't cry. I wept. Mm. And it was uncontrollable. And it was like coming from a place that I had never felt before. And, and it just, it, it was like a, a strong just wave, tidal wave that I had never felt before. And, and you know, when I, when I explain it to people that don't have kids, it's just like, uh, you know, you, when you get that gift, it's... You know, especially me as an adult, I was 33, I, th I think, at the time. Um, you think you've felt everything there is to feel in life. Right. You think you've experienced everything. Love, anger, hate, you know, uh, lust and uh, uh, positive energy, negative energy. And, and you think, hey, I'm 30-something. I'm Nothing can surprise me. And then all of a sudden, you feel a feeling that you've never felt before. Mm -hmm. A new door of love that you never knew existed. Because even before that, I was thinking, like, how can I love this person? Like, what is it? What is it going to feel like? What is it? And it was just like, wow, it's something that actually was already there. And I didn't necessarily realize it because it was it was one direction. And that's the love from my parent to me. You know, I could never understand it. When your mom texts you at 1030 and it's like, why are you not home? And it's like, yeah. mom, I'm in Buffalo. You're not like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, or when they... You do these things, then you, then you just like you know parents, mm. and now you're a parent, and you're like, oh, oh, uh, yeah. I get that, I understand that, and yeah, so it was just powerful to have that new feeling, and it came over me, and it really, like I said, I I, I really feel that it gave my life real meaning, and that, uh, you know, for the for the first time, I felt a real love, and not to you know, obviously, I love my wife, I love my mom, I love my friends and family. Uh, but it's a different kind of love because it's it's an unconditional love. Not that I don't love my mom unconditionally, but, you know, there's, you know, it's a different type of connection. And, and, uh, and, uh, and you know, it's just, again, incredible. And it's, for me, has defined every action that I've had since. Wow. Look, I can only imagine when I have my child um, because the way that I visualize your experience makes me feel that because I've waited so long that um, all of those feelings are going to come out all history. at once. Yeah. But let me ask you this. Prior to having Hunter, um, did you ever think about how you would be as a father um, even before being in a relationship, Always, yeah. like as Always. a young man, like, okay, like when I have a kid and did that bring you joy? Cause sometimes 
I would like think about like for example I used to uh, you know referee at basketball games yeah. and mm-hmm. boys and girls basketball games and I would be like well if I had a daughter I would tell her to do this yeah. or I would train her to do that I would, you know like teach her how to make a layup with with the left hand mm-hmm. you know yeah. and and those thoughts actually put me in a good mood like mm-hmm. it really did something to me so I was wondering if you also had those thoughts I I did I did and I was I I remember as a as a as a kid having those those thoughts, just thinking about hey, when I have a child, when I what I was gonna do, what I was gonna be like, and um, and it, you know, but what what you did there, and and um, what I think I used to do there was something, you know, that I did by mistake then that now I actively do, which is, you know, and look at my life through the lens of the past, present, and future. Mm. You know, so always, you have to look ahead throughout those years uh, uh, and look to the past. And that, that gives you a fresh perspective of the present when you're mm. in it, you know, in any situation that you're in. Because you're, you're talking to someone and you may see, like, a vagrant, someone's asking you for money or something, and you're like, all right, it's like, this guy's just a vagrant. But you could say, all right, this guy had a mom, dad right something happened brought him here right this guy could be anywhere in two years right and you know i can choose to interact with this person as a vagrant or just as the human that i know he is because he's gone through this thing and i mm-hmm. you know i look at every kind of interaction like that past present future and um, again i was doing it by mistake back then or not on purpose i should say uh but now it's a, a active way that i think and uh uh Yes, I always thought about having children and, and um, how it would be. I had a, not, not to get Dr. Phil out, out here, but, but um, you know, I'm sure Eliza won't, won't mind. But we had a, a, a time where she didn't know she wanted children, mm. but I knew, you know, and we were just like kind of just at a, at a position where we had to, you know, hey, like this is, this is what I want. I know, I know that this is what I want, right? right, right. Like in a, in a, in a perfect world, you know, I'd be Solomon. I'd be out here with 700. I mean, not all the wives. Right, right, right. don't, don't, come, don't come for me. Uh, but, you know, the 700 children. Now, because, you're, like, like you're just talking about, yeah. uh, you know, just uh, yeah. the love. The love, the love that was the out love. there yeah, to give. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, even though, come on, 700 kids like that, I don't know what kind of child support that would be. But, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, I, I would I would have loved to have, you know, it's not practical in this day and age. Right. But, you know, what's, the, what's the magic number? Of what? Like, you would have loved to have what? How many kids? Oh, I mean, the more, as many as you can count. Mm. I've always thought about starting five, maybe a six, six man. A six man, right? I think a six man is quality. Basketball team. Right, right. You know, because you always need that one person to, like, come in and make sure that everyone else is on their A game. That's true. But, um, but yeah, man, that's awesome. And, you know, to see you now, you know, uh, you know, becoming the great father that you were destined to be is a beautiful thing. But um, I would imagine uh, most parents uh, would want to provide the best education for their children, especially you, since you work so closely yeah. with schools, right? Yeah. But yeah. ironically, you and Eliza have chosen to homeschool Hunter. Yeah. You know. Um, so tell me about that. Well, my 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 background's in education. Uh, you know, talking about always wanting kids or thinking about children like I always knew that I wanted to do something that was going to give back to someone and leave some type of a legacy and mold people's minds 
you know, we talked a little bit earlier about just like knowing stuff is just is a love for knowledge and is a love for knowledge that I, I've always wanted to share. And um, so, yeah, obviously I would have a heavy interest in uh, my child's education. And we did decide to homeschool Hunter. Uh, he's been homeschooled the last two years. Mm. And um, it wasn't really a difficult decision. You know, I really? think, I think uh, at, at first, you know, you start looking at it, but it wasn't really a difficult decision because like 2020 has taught people, you know, society's been constructed and there's rules out there, right? But someone created those rules. And there's real rules that have real ramifications, as you as an attorney know. Right. Uh, uh, but then there's other rules that, uh, you know, there's some leeway in. And whenever you can capitalize on the leeway to your benefit, you, you should do it. And, um, and some people may say, well, that's crazy. I need time away from my kids. Or that's crazy. How are you going to teach them, you know, you know, the math and all these things that, that, that you that you need to, to teach and um you know i i just i find that somehow people did it for thousands of years mm. um and as we see now the landscape of education is changing and in a way we ended up being ahead of the curve because in march everybody was homeschooling mm-hmm. you know so everybody was homeschooling whether you had a choice or not and then you start to now you start to value your teachers more, right. and now you start to realize that oh wow I should have been a teacher to my child this whole time. Mm-hmm. You know, school is not separate from my life. Even though society has said that I gotta go to work and my child has to go to school, and those things very few times intersect, uh, unless it's take your kid to to school day or whatever. But you know, again, you gotta you gotta you gotta take that opportunity when you have it. Not to say that I wouldn't put him in school if it's, if I had the right school, the right place, the right time. Uh, I would do it, and also keep in mind he's he's in preschool, so there's a there's a flexibility uh, right. that that we have there for preschool. So I will have to at some point make a determination if we want to continue to homeschool him, um, or or not. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm comfortable knowing that uh, it's way more valuable in today's society and society moving forward to have a worldly, well-rounded person mm. with a real grasp on on what the world really is right and i think that that's more valuable at so, least right now so do you think that's a major difference um that you see in homeschooling compared to uh you know him getting an education at a local public school or even a private school because um, you you went to private school most of your life right no i, I went to public school south bronx shout out to ps31 Oh, okay. uh, I, went, I went to public school until I went until, until middle school. Okay. So I was in public school up until sixth grade, and um, then then I went. Then my mom was like, "You're not going to public school anymore. You're going to Catholic school." It changed my whole life. Shout out! Shout out to your mom, by the way, an amazing <laughs> woman. She was also in education. Right? Yeah, yeah. She retired last year, thirty years, I think, teaching in the South Bronx. Teaching in the South Bronx, yeah. like in that. What subject? Uh, K, uh, she taught K through fourth grade, or actually, yeah, K through fourth grade, all elementary, over the years, different grades, different things, bilingual, uh, kids, kindergartners, uh, uh, yeah, she's, she's a real teacher. How much of that, how much of, of living with an educator, uh, did that inform your decision to homeschool your child? Didn't, didn't hurt, 
Right. That's like saying I'm not taking my car to the mechanic because, you know, I got one right here. Right. So, so yeah, it do- doesn't hurt. We have someone that, that can give us a real, true uh, a diagnosis, perspective, assessment mm-hmm. on him and uh, someone that you could lean on for real questions on, on things. So, obviously, a resource that a lot of people that are homeschooling maybe don't have. Um, but we, I mean, you know, Eliza does the work. Uh, Eliza does the work so not taking away from her anything but yeah. it's good to have someone that could offer some scaffolding right. uh, or uh, or or just you know give some real uh, a professional uh, right. uh, um, ad- advice yeah and um and I saw Eliza trying to share what she's learned um, in her homeschool training with other parents because yeah. these parents were freaking out during the pandemic yeah and I don't blame them Good I mean Lord. Yeah, you know I, like you know there's a lot of single parents out there uh, you know and and they gotta work and if they were if they were uh, you know fortunate enough to keep their jobs and to have jobs that required something from them they they, they gotta they got to still do their job, but they mm-hmm. got to teach their child. And, and you know, and I, like I said before, people were appreciating their teachers because the, so the student teachers, because they were like, oh, wow, I didn't realize like, hey, this is my child, but I can't keep them seated for 30 minutes. How the hell right. do you do it with 20 other kids? Right, you know? right. But I think to, to your question of uh, what I see in the, the school in the future, um, you know, we have... I went to public school. I got a great public school education, a really fantastic public school education. I, I so, um, you know, I, I love public school. I, I love what it stands for. I know that there is, uh, you know, there's a lot of layers to all types of schools. So I don't discount public schools. I don't discount charter schools. I don't discount private schools. Um, it's all really about the philosophy of the school and does it fit your child's learning style right. do you understand that right. um and then can you get them in the school right so you know you want the lighter right yeah okay right. so talking about children i'm going to give you this lighter and yeah. as soon as you light it give it right back because you're right. going to start clicking i'm just clicking <laughs> just clicking away but um how would you describe the effects of homeschooling on hunter mm-hmm. i would i would say that you know it's given him a lot of confidence because he goes at his pace right um it's given him a lot of worldly knowledge because we incorporate everything even the trips that we take you know went to to iceland to you know talk about geography uh geology Mm. and and um we went to cuba uh, where he learned about music and he learned about culture and and we took him to amsterdam uh, where he learned about art and he learned about uh, uh, history, and um, you know, and then we we also you know do the same things here. We, you know, all the museums, places we go, we take him, and and we provide a layer of uh, foundation and knowledge to whatever he's doing. So again, it's kind of like thinking of, you know, every decision that you make matters. There is no downtime. You know, people. Mm-hmm. You know, talk about downtime, and I was jokingly enough, uh, I was I was uh, earlier I was saying I'm sitting back and I'm you know just with my jacket I was laying, laying down, but even that time you use it you use it for something, um, so I think that those types of lessons are the ones that I want to make sure that he gets uh, uh, from that age because if you think back and I know that I've heard you talk about it on the podcast with other guests about just like uh, past trips and what you were doing on those trips 
and how that is obviously different now. You do a trip and it's like, now you know, hey, I want to I wanna get some culture. Nice. I want to get some right. things. I don't want to you know, be in this superficial, superficial reason for being there. Being yeah. there, a tourist box or whatever. Uh, you get those things. So I'm trying to give him all the perspective I have now as a grown man. Right. And filter it down for the comprehension of a small you know, four-year-old boy, and, yeah. uh, uh, but slowly, you know, right. and you give him that. So that is, for me, the benefit because you have him there all the time. And I know that people say, well, what about the other kids and what do you do? But we, you know, we, we supplement that with other things. He's, he's, he's been doing mixed martial arts for a year now. So shout out to TTK yeah. in the Bronx, yeah. in the Bronx. Uh, and um, so he's been doing mixed martial arts for a year, which, which he loves. Um, you know, we did programs at the New York Public Library, uh, New York Botanical Garden, Bronx Zoo. So mm. there's ways to get him exposure with other kids right. uh, that, that he needs. Aside from, you know, being, you know, sat in the same room all, all day long. And I also think about time. You know, time is obviously it's very important. Like I said, there's no downtime. So if you tell me something like, hey, I don't have to spend, you know, two hours of my day going back and forth. And another hour stressing him to get ready to. So you mean I have three extra hours with my child, and he could. Wow. You know, yeah, could, I, you know that was the last thing yeah, I thought about. Yeah. But you're right, the travel time. Yeah. And then you extrapolate. So you're saying right. three hours per day for 365 days. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh wait a minute. So now I got. I almost gave my kid 30 more days of teaching than mm. anybody else. You know, and and uh, and then you know you don't think about those little things but every again there's no downtime there's no wasted time uh um and it's not really a super rigid schedule for him but he does have a schedule he knows what he does at every single point in the morning until school is done what i do think about and thank you for providing that insight because that is something that i'm sure a lot of people don't think about right just like the same way people didn't think about how much more time they would have for themselves now during the pandemic yeah. that they can be able to actually work remotely, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, you know, you don't have to, or to spend be alone so much with money. Thoughts. Oh, yeah, oh, forget about that. <laughs> That's like another conversation, brother. Yeah. Be alone with their thoughts. But this is what you and I have been doing since the beginning of, of our friendship. Yeah. You know, we've been, you know, talking about heavy stuff. And um, so, but yeah, so I can see, obviously, that's the the pro of homeschooling, one of the pros of homeschooling. And, you know, one of my questions was going to be uh, about extracurricular activities. And I like that you touched on, you know, him doing martial arts, yeah. you know. Um, but, you know, what about, like, team sports? Because I know that would be difficult. You, you can still do that, but it doesn't have to be school-affiliated. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. You could do that. It's not school. There, there's Little League for T-ball for, for kids. Mm. Um, you know, I would love to get him into basketball. That's my favorite sport. But I'm not, right. I'm not a, I'm not I'm not pushing him, even though I got him a little hoop for his room. Right, uh, right. But but yeah, I mean, when that time comes, he'll he'll do there. But for right now, he's a he's a kid, so learning to ride a bike and racing kids, and you know, you know, you know, and learning how to punch a kick, I think is 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 good for him. And then we'll build, we'll yeah. we'll, we'll keep building, and let's see what we decide. Um, and, you know, if we keep him home, then we'll definitely make sure that we that we supplement it the right way. Um, if if not, then yeah, I'll just make sure he gets that the school where, where he goes. But yeah. it just has to be it has to be valuable. And I know there's a bunch of great progressive schools out there, you know, do fantastic work in educating children, which is great. But but it sounds like what you're doing, and you're not paying thirty thousand dollars a semester. Yeah, basically that's what I was gonna say. But, <laughs> I but know, those I know that's where you're gonna go. Forty to sixty thousand dollars a year, and those Believe are my me. clients, so I know. You know, 
you and I were champions of, of the fraternity tournament, uh, LUL, right? So let's let's toast to that. Absolutely. We should get rings one day. Yeah, we should. Championship rings. But um, belt. <laughs> there we go, belt. <laughs> you know, going back to that, um, you know, what I really liked what you said was traveling with him and letting him know about these different cultures. I've always said, and you can steal this idea. You can steal it. Um, I, you know, again, this is going back to my conversations with myself. You know, I'm talking about early 20s. I always felt that I wanted to educate my children the right way. And I didn't have too much uh, faith in the current school system. Well, right. That's, that's, that's kind of how this, this started for us. And it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily faith in the school system. But it was just like, I want to teach them all these things. And then, well, I'm going to give it to a stranger and hope they do it. Mm. Uh, all right, I want to teach them all these things. I'm going to have to get a real plan on how to teach them these things. Right. Uh, again, no wasted time. You know, you got you to gotta have uh, that type of structure. I'm really big on structure. Right. I no, I know. It was, yeah. very, it was very difficult for me not to create like an outline of things for this no bro i know you i can i can see you like really look like you're you're a leader by nature you held many key positions in college even within the frat i always told you your ass should have fucking ran for uh president uh, for the national fraternity i don't know why you haven't listened to me yet you know obviously you have obligations and responsibilities now but you know i think yeah i would probably be the same way because my outlook on education is the same way mm -hmm. but going along with what you spoke about uh giving him that cultural capital which i mm -hmm. think which i find so important even though right now we're we're living in a very hyper nationalistic yeah. nationalism yeah. you know influenced culture yeah. where everything is about make america great not make people great right not make us great right i've always thought about you know once a month dedicating a day to a country. Mm -hmm. So, for example, first Sundays, actually, couldn't be the first Sundays because usually museums aren't open on Sundays, right? Yeah. They're not, right? I mean, depends on the museum. I okay. But, okay, so on Saturday, um, taking the child out to doing everything that belongs to a specific culture. For example, if you want to talk about Mexican culture, yeah. watching a documentary on Mexico that yeah. day, having Mexican food, mm -hmm. going to a museum that celebrates Mexican culture. Yep. You know, speaking Spanish that whole day. Also, every year um, for the month of August, you know, people in Europe do it. They, they take off a whole month. A whole month. You know, so yep. being in a position to take off the month of August and going to a specific country, but vacationing in that specific country entails a lot of homework. Yeah. Pre-work, you know, where you have to learn the culture, whether you have to learn the language, uh, you have to know what spots you would want to go to, mm -hmm. you know, what monuments or whatever, any touristy thing, um, places to eat, whatever. So now you're, you're doing the work to understand the culture before you get there. Exactly. So that by the time you get there, you, you feel it. like one of them. You appreciate it. Yeah. You're out of that fucking tourist, like, oh, I'm here. Like, no, like, you know about the culture, mm -hmm. you know, um, now you can really enjoy the country. I mean, that's, that's pretty much what we've been doing with right. them. Maybe not monthly, you know, but... Again, we're not we're not doing anything for no reason. Right. This is why we're doing this. This is where we're going, and then this is why. And then here's some interesting things about this place. What we're doing. Uh, Amsterdam was one of my favorites just because of all the art. I love Amsterdam. Um, and um, and then you know and then we uncovered that he has a really a love for art and he mm -hmm. has an ability to retain 
information and an ability to recognize work by different artists, mm. which is like, you know, strange. How old for, is he again? He's four. He's four. Wow. But he knows he can he could differentiate Basquiat from Van Gogh from from uh, uh, Monet. You know, uh, you know because I mean obviously we've taught him about those. You give him a random ran, a, ran, a random artist, he's not gonna know. Uh, but but he 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 can kind of he he can tell you know and he he picks it out and he has his favorites and he tells me why they're his favorites and um and it's funny that one one time he was like I don't know what this one he's like he's like like what is this I'm like I'm sure the artist doesn't know either man like <laughs> you know it's is what you think I'm it sure is sure the artist you know? doesn't know what right, right, you right. think it is so part of it is critical critical thinking making sure that he doesn't you know not everything has an answer mm-hmm. and that's okay mm-hmm. you know that that was one of the things that that uh, um love about learning right and uh um, and i loved about the school that i went to right uh ps31 again shout out to ps31 because critical thinking was a big component of that and that's something that i want to instill in him question everything question every single little thing and learn along the way but yeah i mean we, we do we do those we travel uh for that for that purpose and to give him that that worldly knowledge uh, so that uh, he could appreciate i remember right. i went to a uh, you know, my mom, God bless her, and dad, he, they saved a lot of money to be able to send me on a class trip to Europe in mm-hmm. high school. I think it was a junior. I don't, I don't remember. I think it was junior year. And we went on a cl- class trip uh, to Italy and Greece. And I appreciated none of it. <laughs> you <laughs> me know, too. I appreciated I had the same experience. absolutely none of it. All mm-hmm. I knew is that there was no drinking age. Girls were coming on the trip. Going to be away from my parents for a couple weeks. <laughs> You know, Europe, yeah, right, whatever. Listen, I remember I had an Averex with, like, the American flag, just like the shout-out to Mr. Philp and from Spelman. Mr. Philp was like, don't bring that fucking coat Yo. on this trip. <laughs> First thing I did was rip out the Averex. Did you, did you have long hair? Back, did you have long hair when you went out there? Because I know at some point you had braids. No, no, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have long hair. Didn't Bro, long hair. I had the same experience. I went to Europe. My mother was like, oh, let's do a family trip before you go away to college. I was 17 at the time. You know, I got a late birthday. And, and I was hating, I was not appreciating any moment. First of all, I'm with my mom and my sister, right? So I'm like, you know, what am I doing here? Um, I finally, you know, because at that age, like you said, we're thinking about women, we're thinking about drinking, even though you're not appreciating anything. And I went out there with braids. So people were looking at me crazy out there. <laughs> like, uh, like, who is this guy? And this was like braids before D'Angelo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before, you know, before, before D'Angelo in the topless, you know, uh-huh. uh, you know, video that he yeah, had. Yeah. Uh, so they were not understanding. I'm glad that I, I mean, I took, I knew that my mom saved a lot of money for me to be there. So I took yeah. all the great pictures. So when I look back at my picture, I'm like, yeah, wow. I did. The, the Duomo, the Coliseum. The, yeah, 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 yeah. So I got all these great pictures. Dante, yeah. uh, Michael, uh, uh, the, the Statue of David. You know, I snuck a picture of the ceiling on the 16th chapel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I didn't appreciate it at the time. And, and, I, and I just, I remembered. Uh, always just thinking about the effort that it took my mom to save that money, and that in, in retrospect, how I didn't really appreciate it. So I right. want I wanted to always right. make sure that my child, you know, when he had the opportunities, that he didn't let the moment pass him. You know, you're shaping the world around this this person. Yeah, yeah. Right? And like I said before, you look. If I'm, I look at my life, always past, present, future. So, you know, like I always have talked with my wife about this and i'm like you know you know you see him as a four-year-old i'm seeing him as a grown man right you know so i have i i 
there's certain things that I give him that I know is for later, you know, and that's, that's a, a so again, that's the kind of one of the principles I live by. It helps, it helps me stay focused in the moment. So, so talk to me about what are the requirements for homeschool training? If someone, if a young parent out there or an older parent who wants to get their, uh, their child homeschooled, what is it that they have to do? Do they have to fill out an application with Yeah, the you city? have to apply for homeschool. I think this is with the state. Okay. You have to, that's what, this is really my wife's area. But you have to, you have to apply uh, with the state uh, to, to homeschool. Mm. Um, but if, you know, in the, in the first year, we didn't, he was three, so we didn't, we didn't have to, but, but we still did a, a dedicated curriculum and assessments, et cetera. Um, and this year, uh, it's like kind of like the first official homeschool year right? because he's officially a preschooler and actually schools wanted us we were looking potentially at schools and they wanted us to put him in as a kindergartner but we didn't want to do that mm. you know you know i read um didn't influence me totally in this decision but you know have you read uh outliers Mar- yeah of Marvin course Gladwell? yeah Marvin Gladwell, yeah. so you know he talks about uh in one of the opening chapters he's talking about hockey players and how the, the best hockey players were all like born between January and March. Right. You and I had a conversation about that. We did, right? right. And it was and it was because uh, those kids they start off as the bigger you know the hockey cutoff age I think was like January first or something like that. So if you just happen to turn six January first, but someone had just turned five, like you're in the same. Right bracket but you're one whole year ahead of them right and now every year that advantage compounds into your adulthood right and now all of a sudden you're Wayne Gretzky right you know right. and then this other guys you know an accountant you know no offense to accountants but you know like yeah it just it, it works that way because of that one simple little thing you gave him so I was like no oh, biggest kid in the class smallest kid in the class do I give him that advantage of being really confident around these people or or not uh, you know, we weighed that against, you know, will he be bored with the content because right. he's well, well ahead of some of the content. And then we were like, you know what, let's just, let's just keep him and then you know, we, could, we, could, we could choose to have him repeat kindergarten next year and then he'll be where we want him to be and then hopefully over time. Because I was one of those kids, like, I was a September because I was always the youngest kid in my class. I was always the youngest kid in my class and it, and it, um, it didn't necessarily affect my confidence overall when I got older. But I do remember being younger and being a little more shy to right. do certain things yeah. uh, and always kind of like watching the other kids because they were a little more uh, um, savvy than me because a year between five and six is a big it's, difference. It's a big difference, yeah. yeah. It's a big difference. And I think he also spoke about many of the professional athletes, not only hockey players, mm-hmm. but professional athletes overall had early birthdays. Yes, yes. You know, because, yeah. you know, people, people don't think about like all that training. Yeah. All that training, you know, from or the confidence that you get as a child if you make a team, mm-hmm. and then you know you're working out or you're on that team for that whole year. Yeah, then you do well, and then you do so good that they put you in a more difficult league the next right. year. Right, and then you do well with those, and the next so again it just compounds each year. Now by the time these kids are fourteen, they they would have always been in the best camps with the best other best players and just getting better and not necessarily because they were better from the onset right but just because they had more training they have more training that little advantage helped them that much more than it did the other people bro and so that, again, that little thing is like that stuck with me when i read that book and i was like 
wow, this makes so much fucking sense because I've seen it in my life. And, you know, you can't argue with, you know, Wayne Gretzky born in January, right? Like, you can't, can't argue with that. I mean, uh, I think Jordan was born in February. Jordan was born in February. You know, but... Um, undisputed goats. Undisputed goats, right? And, um, again, I, I coached and I refereed grade school basketball. And yeah. I saw the major difference between the fifth grader and the sixth grader. You know, yeah. and, and that was just by a few months yeah. in most cases, right? Yeah. So, but I commend you on the homeschooling, especially doing it outside of what society tells you what to do. I think I would have benefited tremendously from homeschooling, from an individualized teaching yeah. um, or instruction, mm-hmm. only because I was all over as a kid. And it's a worldly learning because you can take your time with, with it, obviously, and you're not, and you're you're creating the the path in which which the kid is going. It's a worldly experience, and I think that that's more valuable than almost anything, because ultimately you got to leave school and go into the world. Right, right. You're going to spend most of your time there. This is something that I also think about. At what point does the child start to see you as a parent and not as a teacher, or is that one and the same? Well, that's a struggle. You know, that's that's a struggle throughout the entire process, you know? Like, and, and um, you know, you have there's, there's, there's points where you have to differentiate for yourself. Like, when am I a dad and when am I a teacher? Or when am I a mom and when am I a teacher? What is the difference? And uh, we talk about all the, that all the time. And, and uh, we remind each other. And I always, I always just come from the perspective of, if he was in a classroom right now, would you feel comfortable with his teacher saying X, doing X, or whatever? And then you just check yourself, you know, if you, if you have that, that moment. Because, I mean, it's not, it's not easy, you know, like you get frustrated and it's not, it's not a, a fairy tale situation where, oh, he just magically learns everything right. because he's home. And so right. it's like, look, there's heavy distractions. There's things that are going on and we have an infant now. So that also, that also adds to it. Uh, it's not, it's not easy uh, by any means. Um, it is actually difficult. Uh, and that part is really a challenging part. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, there's a time for school, but the learning doesn't end. Right. You know, the learning is always. It doesn't end. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, Has he asked about traditional schooling though? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Okay. And he knows about school. He knows his cousins go to school. He right. knows what a school is like. And we looked at schools. So right. he's he understood. He understands the concept. He knows what school is. And we prepare him. We've been mentally preparing him for that. So he knows that one day he will potentially go into a formal school. And so like, and that's that. I think is is um you know the plan ultimately right. uh, to get into the best school that he could possibly get into so he can have the best possible experiences um but yeah i mean it's still it's again it's a challenge it's a challenge for the for him you know i couldn't sp- speak for him but i know that there's moments where it's a little confusing right you right. know what i mean or when he's because he's crafty right. you know or when he can manipulate the situation like if he doesn't want to do school right. just you know I just want to hug. Can I just let's cuddle? You know, and you're like, oh damn, I want to cuddle right now so bad. But well, we're in school right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go. At three p.m. After exactly. three p.m. We, we can gotta cuddle. finish it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's but, what's up. Yeah, we, but, we we manage the technology too. That's a big part of it. You got to manage the technology. Good. Right? You can't you can't give them all access to technology. So that's I'm, right. I'm trying to again. It's about the world, and technology is a big part of the world, and obviously a big part of the future. Right. But uh, you know, but so is Cambridge. And- yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Social he, dilemma he, for those that didn't watch. Yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. He's gonna he's gonna have time for that, and I think that that you could you could catch up to that if you have a if you have a, a worldly wisdom about you. 
Right. That's not going to be difficult. But Hunter's not only a student, he is a model. He's a model. The dude, you know, the little guy is a beautiful kid. Thank you. You know, he has his own IG, for God's sake, you know. And he's also worked on some pretty good campaigns. Yeah, yeah. he's been modeling since, I think, four months. So, Mm. yeah. How is that for you? Or, Um, like, even for Eliza, dealing with with a child that's a model? Um... I mean, you know, he's not modeling all the time. You know, there there's really kind of like seasons for it for children model, child modeling. Uh, um, uh, but like like he, basketball players. Yeah, kind, kind <laughs> of, kind of. I yeah. mean, it really kind of like gets heavy in the spring. I mean, he's been fortunate mm-hmm. that he's worked. Uh, uh, but it's been great because it also teaches him another real world lesson, and it's about work. Mm-hmm. And it's about you know, at first it was he was three four months. He he doesn't know. You know what I mean? He's right. Just take a picture, whatever. Then over time, you know, there was okay. We're going to go take a picture, and he's not getting it, not understanding. I want to play. I want to do this. I want to do that. So we took like almost like a year off. I think almost between two and three, he didn't do much because we never wanted to force it on him. You mm-hmm. know, we've we you know you go through through it's a whole world. It's a whole right. world. You know, child models and there's child fashion shows and there's a whole whole situation that that's behind this world. And you see some people force the kid, get on there, go on there, go. Right. Get on the runway, get on the stage, get go take the picture. We're going to, there's going to be a, something after this, right? right. Like this, right. Uh, uh, you, you, the, you're trying to motivate the child. But, uh, you know, I taught him about money, earning. Uh, and then I just brought it down to a level that he could understand, which is mm. toys, right? He likes toys. Well, you like toys? Toys cost money. Mm. How can you get money? You could take pictures. Right. Do you want to take pictures? He's like, sign me up, sign, sign me up. Yeah, so he's hyped. He goes, he does a great job. He know, he knows. At this point, he's kind of like a mini professional. It's, it's almost, it's 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 funny almost. Yeah. But he's done something for Gap, right? He's done for Gap. He's done for Cardi. He's done for uh, Sax. He's done. He's done a lot of stuff. I can't even. Couldn't couldn't even tell you. He's done a lot. But also, that's you know, it's part of setting him up for the future too. Giving right. him, giving him something. Having having him, letting him have something for himself. Right. He's a certain age that he earned, right. that we can't touch, right. um, that he could use for whatever he wants, and, and also taking some uh, time and investing for him. Talk about college. College is expensive, so there you go. College. <laughs> but um, and it's also a family thing, though, right? Because he has a he has a cousin who oh, yeah. um, has been modeling for a while. You know, he's the one in the uh, am I am yes. I cute yeah. am I cute yeah, video that went viral on yeah, IG. Yeah, Aiden. Yeah, you know, Aiden Garcia. Um, Obviously, Aiden Aiden helped pave the way for Hunter. Um, he he had a the the great fortune of having a viral video. It's not a lot, like like that's something that that a lot of people can't say they do, but it's also kind of surreal when it happens. So he had a viral video mm-hmm. and kind of really just like overnight kind of uh, um, exploded, and he was really doing his 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 thing on the modeling side, and that kind of helped open the door for Hunter as something like that we didn't think about before and like, oh, wow, no, this is possible. And if we start him early and then he can get, you know, he can earn money. He can, you mm. know, have, have this experience. And this, and this is uh, like kind of like a no-brainer. Like, let's, let's do it. And, um, yeah, so, you know, thankfully, you know, that, those, those experiences with Aiden helped, uh, uh, helped us set up this uh, experience for, for Hunter. And, and um, again, he's learning life lessons along the way. He's right. shot for a lot of, beautiful uh, ads and um and and you know i've done modeling myself before in the past but he he got me my first 
actual modeling check. Your you son know. is putting money in your hands. He's putting money in, in your my pocket. Hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So shout out to Terry B. Talent. Uh, and and uh, and and again, unfortunately, kind of a byproduct of COVID is that they weren't shooting ads with uh, model moms and dads because you wanted people that were in the same uh, uh, kind of quarantine together. So there, right. so a lot of ads that you'll see coming out in the next couple seasons are going to be just like really families and, mm. and things like that. Uh, or just you know solo solo kids or kids that are related because they're this is kind of like the new way that they navigate around it. Uh, so they were like, hey, we need a family, and you know, do you guys want to do it? I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah. we'll we'll do it. And I got a check the other day, and there I was like, go. holy shit! There I was like, go. and you probably showed up what for two hours? Uh, it was like four hours, but hey, it was a, it was a it was a I'm great. Sure, I'm sure it was above the minimum wage. It's more than I've made in an hour ever in my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. <sighs> Yeah, so I always, always yeah, yeah, exactly. I always joke with people because, 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 like, yeah, you make a lot per hour. I mean, he he can't work a lot of hours, obviously, because he's That's a kid. Right. But That's you make a lot per hour, and just those little those little checks. And obviously, he doesn't have a he has a concept of money, but he doesn't necessarily really understand the numbers. Right, right. But he knows he has money, so he's always like, yeah, just like buy me this. You just take it out of my hundred dollars. You know, go. this hundred dollars is is lasted about you know, the last two years. You know, because he's, yeah, he's always like. Let's go to Target. You know, I got a hundred dollars, right? I'm like, yeah, you got a little more than a hundred, but but uh, but I'm not gonna tell you. <laughs> That's, funny. That's funny. And are you open to your daughter also being a part of the industry? She's already got her first check too. She's, really? Yeah, she's got two. How yeah, old? She, she's like what? Four months? She's five months. She's already done two gigs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We took actually Hunter was on a shoot, uh, last weekend. And, um, and, you know, obviously we, we went and we, we, we took her and they were like, oh, this baby's in this shoot too. Put her in. And I was like, all right, great. Interesting. And yeah. So she's, she's gotten her, her start too. But I mean, that's, that's our, that's our, our, you know, it's, it's something that, yeah, again, as long as they want or they're comfortable doing it. Right, right. Um, and as long as we don't see it as something that's hurting them and, uh, then, you know, we'll, we'll allow them to do it. Uh, so again, they could have something for the future, and we invest some of that money, right? Uh, um, for them again, just to have something for the future, because, you know, I'm, I, I recently started like stock trading on my own over in the last like year, year and a half, and um, you know, I remember doing it when I was a kid, but like, like in school, uh, not real, but we would choose kind of stocks and follow them or whatever, and um. And yeah, and then I, you know, just when I when I look at the stock trading information, I'm like, wow, five years ago, like I would have did this five years ago. Mm -hmm. So it's always again about thinking about past, future, and present. And present, uh, and it's like, all right, I'm just gonna get him these things, right. and then just not look at it. And then when he's 18 and he sees, it's like, holy shit, you know. And this is what, that's my hope, you know, obviously. Uh, so yeah, we take some of that and just building building towards the future. So yeah, what I put. Phoenix in it, she's already done it. And and yeah, I'll keep keep doing it with her. But again, as long as it's something that they're comfortable doing and as long as I have control over how protected they are. Right. Because obviously that's a big thing. Like, you know, I'm not gonna put them in a position where they could be hurt. Right, right. And and you know, what are the signs uh, that a child will let you know that you may be pushing him or her a little hard? Um, you know, there was a good story with uh, Willow Smith. Will Smith was having her on a tour, and she had that song, um, you know, and the song had to do with her hair. Yeah, yeah, I remember. And then there was one time she had approached Will Smith, 
And she said, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And Will Smith said, that's it. You know, we made a commitment. You know, we're on tour. We have to just fulfill our commitment, right? Yeah. And the next day, uh, she woke up and she cut her hair. And Will Smith said, you know what? I think we're going home now. Yeah. Go, you want me to sing about my hair? I got you, Dad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but obviously Does it take she... something that drastic? Or, you know, are there other subtle signs that uh, make you believe like Willow, you Willow, know, that cutting your hair is not that subtle. And she's, right, right. she's obviously a, a privileged person. So right. she probably has a different perspective. Another child wouldn't have done that, wouldn't right. cut their hair. Right. But they'll tell you in other ways. Um, but really their demeanor. You have to watch your child. You have to know your child. And and um, and just and you have to know that if at any point you have to convince them to do it, then it's already too much. You know, that's it. Because you you can't you can't put a a a rational frame uh, in in the mind of a of a child. At least you know I don't know about older children. I don't have an older child yet. But you know you have to you have to uh, put that that you can't put that frame on that right. on a child because they can't they can't really understand that. You right. Know, you could give it to them slowly, like I said. Money equals toys. Oh, right. I can get a toy after this. Yeah. Right. Time to do it. You get a toy. That's it. So, but at that age, how do you check the child's ego without limiting his or her self-confidence? Because if they're getting, if they know from an early age, they're getting paid because of the way that they look. Does that well, present a certain problem? It's not. I would imagine it's it does. Not, I mean, I'm sure that, you know, when they're casting, look has a lot to do with it. But it's not as much, it's not looks as much as it is temperament and demeanor. You know, if your child doesn't have the right temperament, it doesn't matter the look. And I guess you could say the same thing for adults, right? You could be, maybe not, you know, so certain models, obviously, you know, have a history of doing whatever the hell and getting away with it because of their looks. But in most cases, uh, uh, you know, it's not about it's not about the look. If you can't, if you don't have the demeanor, if you don't have the right attitude, then, you know, you're not going to get a lot of callbacks. Right, and it's, right. the same, it's the same thing. So he gets a fair amount of callbacks and um and also a fair amount of just uh uh, uh what they call just like a straight booking versus him having to do a, a kind of pre-screen like right it doesn't he doesn't have to do that a lot because they know that he has the temperament and that they're going to get stuff done pretty right. quickly because he has a good understanding of, of of what's going on right right uh, but yeah i mean if 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 for me if at any point i have to convince him to do it then i know that it's already too far yeah, and you know, and I'm sure um, education is also a good counterbalance, where you know you also glorify experiences, you glorify having an education. It, it it takes him away from that element of just you know thinking of him or herself as like someone that's just a you know a very good looking child yeah. that has these. Uh, nice aesthetics yeah. that people are kind of drawn to, you know. You know. I mean, we we tell him he's cute. Obviously, we're parents and we love our kids and we think that he's cute and and he's a handsome kid. But tie that to his looks. We just call it work. Okay. You know, like hey, you have a job. Right. And this is your job. Daddy has a job, you know, and he goes to work. Mommy has a job. She 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 teaches you, and this is your job. You take right. pictures sometimes. Right. And these pictures. People use them for ads, and he's seen the ads, and he's, you know, he doesn't give them any mind. He's like, oh, cool, ad, gonna go play. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's, and it's great. I was there. I took the picture. We don't really push the fact that this is, you know, you're getting this opportunity because of how, how you look. Mm -hmm. like, I think that's just a, a, a level of awareness that I don't want him to have. Right, right, right of course, now. of yeah, course. Yeah. You know, and along those lines, uh, you know, I just thought about this. My sister 
just gave birth to yeah. my my youngest niece, right? Um, shout out to little Isla. And um, so she has two baby girls, right? Mm-hmm. Both girls are Dominican and also African-American, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so my sister is, is light-skinned with light eyes. And shout out to Stan. You know, he's a, he's a brown-skinned fellow, you mm-hmm. know? And um, so Lily, shout out to Lily. I love my little Lily. Um, brown, brown-skinned girl, right? Um, darker eyes. Uh, but then Isla is born, and Isla is lighter with, with light eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other day when I realized that, I was like, oh, Karina, I said it in front of Lily, right? And I said, Karina's my sister, and I said, Karina, oh, it looks like Isla's going to have your eyes. It looks yeah. like she's going to have light eyes. Like, she pretty much shushed me. Yeah, like, and I was like, like, because she doesn't want to make it a thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. she doesn't want, uh, you know, Lily to be raised with a complex, like, oh, like, my my yeah. sister yeah. has nice eyes, and if you know people don't say the same thing about me, what does that say yeah. about me? Yeah. Um, well, that's the life I live because my sister and brother have brown eyes, and I, I you know I got green eyes, and everywhere I went it was like you know again I was the whitest thing in ten miles, but, <laughs> but also I had bright green eyes, so people would always oh wow you have beautiful eyes, and and I remember my sister would be like. Those should have been my eyes. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, That's so. hilarious. But you know what's ironic is that my sister has an issue with that now with her two beautiful little girls. Yeah. But she didn't have an issue with that when we were young. Yeah, when and she had were, them, yeah. Yeah, Exactly, yeah. when people were stopping her uh-huh. and be like, oh, Karina, you have beautiful eyes. Yeah. Hi, Charlie. Hey, Charlie. Hey, Charlie. How's it going? How you doing? How's sports? <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing in basketball? <laughs> you didn't make the team? What happened? <laughs> Hope, so you and I, we've spoken a lot about ego death, right? And my boy, J.D., once said that we are not meant to get rid of ego. We are meant to integrate ego. In college, you were, you know, smart. You still are smart. A leader, uh, but also you had, like many of us, an edge, right? Yeah. A self-awareness that came across as arrogance to some. Um, would you agree? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, definitely. It was a, a bit of a misguided arrogance, and I'm certainly did a few things that 38-year-old Jose would look back on and cringe a little bit. Yeah, but yeah, I think that's a transformation that a lot of people go through. I think I, you know, talking about ego death, like, mm. like uh, for me, I think in the beginning, it was more like suppression. Like, I, maybe I didn't necessarily know the concept of ego death, but I think I just try to kill it early. And I think maybe now, I never heard that quote before, but now that I hear it, in my life now, I'm I'm understanding uh, how to integrate, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Integrate the, the the ego because it is part of you, and you have to use it, and there's benefits to it, uh, but it can't be the thing that's guiding you, right? You know, right. I think at that time, I was in a very present state of mind, not in the pr- not in the present state of mind of 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 uh, of understanding, uh, but just thinking about the moment, you know, and whatever you can get from that moment, whether it's, you know, basically pleasure, you know, mm-hmm. you know, just, just pleasure. And, um, I think for me, um, it was, it's time alone was a big thing. Quiet, you know, meditating before I really understood that I was actually doing mm-hmm. that. And then, um, reading, um, really, I, you know, I came across, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, which has been one of my guiding pieces of literature. For those that don't know, he was he was a, he was a Roman emperor, 
um, an adopted Roman emperor, meaning he wasn't guaranteed the throne right. at at birth. You know, it, it was it was decided that he should have it. Right. You know, because of his merit and who he is was. That, is that um, the best king? No, that would be actually the opposite of that. The best kings crown themselves. Mm. You know, but he was given the crown because was, people felt he was, that he deserved the he crown. He was given. Well, the emperor at the time felt that he was, from a young age, felt that this is someone that I would feel comfortable right. giving right. giving this immense power to. Right. And that emperor, having uh, been also adopted, I think there was five consecutive adopted Roman emperors, if I'm not mistaken, I'm forgetting the name of the emperor before Marcus Aurelius, but he allowed him uh, and and his adopted brother uh, the opportunity to potentially both be the emperor. And Marcus mm-hmm. Aurelius actually, for a number of years, had a co-emperor, which is like, imagine you have all the power in the world and you say, you know what, I decide, I'll let someone else share that power right. with me, you know, with he didn't have to do that. Right. I really saw this person as someone that was, you know, interesting to understand because of who he was. He was given this again immense power, and with that immense power, um, what he did every day was journal, and in his journal, he would write things to keep himself grounded. Mm. And as the most powerful person in the world, he's writing himself advice to remind him how to act how to behave, how to stay, you know, today they call it sto- uh, stoicism, mm-hmm. is, a, is a form of philosophy. And, um, you know, Marcus Aurelius really practiced that. And it's just always, it was so impactful for me, again, that this person had all the power in the world, chose to share it, right? all the power in the world, and chose to use his time to keep himself grounded as a man, you know, not too different from other people mm. right and having that frame of thought so that was that really impacted me and um you know and at that time like a lot of youth are you're you're trying to understand your position in the world and how old were you i think i was probably it was probably 19 right right maybe 19 20 it was it was really impactful and just reading the stuff and and it was his journal again mm. it was not meant to be published this is right the most powerful man in the world, uh, of writing his things uh, for himself. So imagine that today, like, you know, Obama sharing his personal private journal. With right, him. right. And you're like, all right, what is Obama thinking, right? Hmm. You read it and you look at it. But now we have this window into the to the world of this, again, man who was the most powerful person in the world, right? right? Like the, the Roman Empire uh, at that time. And, and he was, yeah, he was so grounded. So I just looked at myself and... You know, I applied that logic to my small world and was like, you know, I, I, I have to keep myself grounded. And, and um, I decided to, to do that. And I think at first it was more just suppressing ego, suppressing ego, suppressing ego. And then, um, and again, now I think it's more into integrating ego and, and, and again, finding out who you really are. And, and um, you know, part of that is not caring what other people think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then part of that is caring what other people think, right. and then finding the balance between that, which is which is a lot of what Marcus Aurelius wrote about. It's right. just like yeah, like, and which I try to incorporate in some of the things that I write. And um, when I really sat back and understood 
who this person was, it really motivated me in that way, just to again stay grounded. Yeah, yeah, you know, and that brings me to when you let me borrow. I don't know if you gave it to me or you borrow, and I'm hesitant to even talk about it because I'm not sure if I gave it back if you did borrow if I did borrow it from you. But um, it was a small book of wisdom, oh. an amazing book with a whole bunch of like lessons or rules on yeah. how to uh, become wise. You know, um, is the art, art of worldly wisdom? The art of worldly wisdom. Yeah. Wow, it can fit in your pocket. Yep, and that's why I loved it. I would always carry these small kind of reference books um the sacred path of the warrior was one and the art of worldly wisdom uh was another one um for those of you that have read the the 48 laws of power mm-hmm. um you know that's a, that's a more contemporary book um that came out around that time when i was in college and it was really big um at that time and you know but at the end of the book i remember looking through just like the the sources mm-hmm. and just looking at those books and then when i came across the art of, art of worldly wisdom i was like holy shit this right. is this is a whole another level of thinking and it's just like wow like i gotta i gotta get my mind in this in this way i gotta start thinking about the world and not just my world right right uh, if, if i want something greater you know what i mean and not material but just just something something greater for my life you know. So so when you read that book, right? Uh, not the world of wisdom, but the one, that you were, the one that you referenced before, right? Yeah. What was your initial response to it? Did you were you overly critical about how you were of prior myself? to reading the book? Yeah, or were you more accepting and say, okay, well now I know this, um, and now I would like to apply it because I think this means something. Yeah, I think I was more just like. Just first, just like in all, again, I was trying to let myself really understand what I'm reading here, and and then at that point, I'm again kind of just in awe, and um and wanted to apply that in practice for myself or try, um because I know that Marcus Aurelius was also trying. He's not a perfect person. He's not, and that's the whole reason why he was doing that because right. he, he knows he's not perfect. A lot of kids who society may consider an adult, 17, 18, 19, or whatever, but really, we know now, at this age, that they're really children, still. They don't have that perspective because it wasn't necessarily displayed by somebody. And, and, and again, I took that as my, my, my guide and just referenced it. I carried it for a long time. I still have mm-hmm. it in my house. I highlighted mm-hmm. it. I kept it. Same thing with art of worldly wisdom. I highlighted and kept it. I gave it to people when I right. when I thought that they would respond to it. Right. I had several copies. You know, you know, Joe, Joe, who you had on the podcast, I gave him one too a number yeah. of years ago. Yo, good Joe. Yeah. And it's one of the things that I always uh, uh, like, like to share because, again, when you get that worldly perspective, everything starts to open up around you and you see things for the layers that they contain and not just in the box that the world puts it in. Right. You know, and that's kind of what Marcus Aurelian was doing. It's like the world has put me in this box as I'm supposed to be this person, Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. great, powerful thing. And I got to remind myself every day that that's not me. So that's interesting that you say that, right? Because some people would say, and I think I can relate to you on certain things, but some people would say that, but those boxes that people put you in were positive. Um, you know, for example, 
you know, you're, uh, you know, young man, yeah. you know, educated, um, smart, mm-hmm. you know, attractive. Um, but there's boxes mm-hmm. where people try to put yeah. you on just, just for being that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a big motivator for me for that was my experience in the fraternity. Um, because college is such a bubble. You know, we talk about bubbles now because of COVID or whatever, but college is, is really kind of like a bubble. Um, and, uh, you know, I, you, you get this, uh, in, in, in that bubble, you get this feedback and, and that feedback comes from someone and you could take it or you could reject it. Right. Uh, um, but I, I, I was trying to, at that point, trying to teach myself to do both when at first I was just taking it. And then I remember people around me kind of like telling me, oh, well, you're different now like you change or you or you're and and i and i remember people starting to kind of define who i was based on me being a fraternity or being around certain people and 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 i didn't want to be labeled classified in any way and especially in the way that i felt that i was being classified so i wanted to make sure that i took the things that i was learning and applied it to myself to again keep myself grounded and to have better experiences with people because right. if this is how people are perceiving me, um, you know, then that's their reality of what I am. So no matter what you think, how I feel about it, right. it's their it's the truth for that person. Right. right. You know, and I think I told I said earlier I think off camera that that yeah I, you know I bump into people sometimes they're like yo you told me this or whatever and I was like. Shit, you listen to that? Like, like, like damn, that was, that was some bad advice. Like, right, I'm sorry, right, 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 right. I'm really sorry right. uh, uh, for that. Um, but I know I get passionate behind things, so yeah, it's probably true. I probably encourage you to do this, but damn, I was wrong. You know, when you talk about killing the ego, I think that was something that I recognized at that point without understanding that it was ego, but just the society's outward perception of who you are right, right. and supposed to be who you're supposed to be come and from also, how you look correct, right and that's why and that's why I brought that up because you know when we talked about your children being in the modeling industry yeah. right and and also understanding how society tries to put you in boxes um, you know at an early age I knew that um, you know whether the box was negative or positive whether someone was saying really something really good about mm-hmm. me um, whether you know whether it was for aesthetic reasons mm-hmm. or whether it was for anything else, I kind of like took it with a grain of salt. Yeah. To this day, I don't know, I really don't know how to take compliments that well. Yeah, I mean, because I'm... my way of looking at it is, if I put value on what you tell me when mm-hmm. it sounds nice, I'm gonna put value on what you tell me when it doesn't sound right. Yeah, well, that, right. That's, so that's, that's uh, and I don't want to give anybody that much power. Exactly. That you that's know? that's. You know, a thought that I had, a quote that I wrote, actually, uh, I don't know word for word. Uh, you know, I'm not gonna quote myself, but but <laughs> but, but it's 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 around. I mean, college Jose will quote yeah, himself. College Jose would have quoted himself. It's like, yeah, a great man once said. Uh, that great man was me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, BTW. You know, no, but no, but it's it's about that. It's not a, not allowing the outside world to assign you value mm-hmm. in any way, even if it's positive. You can't let that, you can't accept that value. And, and, and um, mm-hmm. we know now that, it, that that's a scientific thing. Mm-hmm. Dopamine hits your brain, makes you feel good. You get those likes, you get those, you know, that pat on the back. Somebody calls you cute, you know, you look good in the clothes. And, 
and it, and it, and it's a you know it's a biological response of but it's not real mm-hmm. you know so the so you know you can't you have to take it with a grain of salt mm-hmm. because it's not it's not real a, a thousand people can tell you one thing and it's not true because there's seven billion other people mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. six billion nine hundred million nine hundred ninety nine thousand could say differently right right, right. and right. um and and even that's not true right you know like uh, so yeah man and you know it's you know you and i really connect we, we connect on so many things but one of the things that come to mind um is literature and art and um yeah. you know obviously you just shared an experience where art did something to you yeah. which caused you to react and uh change the access shift the access in your life on how you chose to move, right? Mm-hmm. Was there ever a piece of art or literature or even a song that drove you to tears? Oh wow. I mean I said it I said it earlier that I, I hadn't cried for a long time prior to my son being born. And the the only time I remember crying that wasn't a four thousand from mom, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> was was four thousand from mom uh, means a beating from uh-huh. mom. Yeah, the chancletazo, you know. <laughs> for those who don't know, the Dominican moms can throw that chancleta across miles. That's um, right. But it was, it was a movie that I really... Uh, La Bamba. The, no, no, La Bamba. <laughs> Richie! Richie! <laughs> no, it wasn't Richie. Why did he get off that plane, It man? wasn't Richie, and it wasn't uh, uh, Boys in the Hood. It was... it was Because uh, um, Richie and then Ricky in Boys in the Hood. Gotcha. Uh, God, Ricky, remember Ricky? Yeah, yeah poor man. Ricky, man. He had a scholarship. He had a scholarship. He, he a was scholarship. like a good dude, too. Yeah, like, yeah. he wasn't about the shits. Yeah. It was It was actually The Secret Garden. And it's a movie that they're... I think... I don't know if they just remade it or they are remaking mm-hmm. with the old version of it. Like, I, I remember... Uh, uh, I don't remember how old I was. I was probably maybe like 12 or 13. But that was, that was probably the last time I... Mm-hmm. Something moved me that way like emotionally to the point where I cried tears it's a story about a like a rich boy very I mean rich rich wealthy very mm-hmm. wealthy child who was mm-hmm. kind of like sheltered and told that he was sick and taken care of and they never took him outside and they mm-hmm. kept him locked in, a ro- locked in his chateau with you know all the uh, blinds you know shut and then he has this like cousin come from far away and mm. she's like precocious and exciting and she wants to explore the grounds and she's like have pushing him to do that and to see beyond his fears mm. and then um you know he's in a wheelchair and then at some point in the movie like he gets up and walks and he like takes like little bambi deer steps or whatever and that right there I was like in fucking tears. I was I was just like crying. I was like this kid. He was sheltered in his whole life, and was, you know he had everything, but he had nothing. And I'm just going through this whole existential crisis, crying over this movie. Uh, but that's that's it. Like really, it, like yeah. yeah no, I don't think I've no song, no no. If you're into bachata, bachata. Oh like, no! Yeah, not... yeah, come on, come on, please. I mean, if you're talking about yeah, like sitting there with your whiskey and just like yeah. lamenting lost love, yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah. Right. De- definitely not. I feel that none bachata's never made me cry, but but uh, I mean that that has hmm. but emo- emotional movement. I think um, uh, there's a song by Ghostface, "All That I Got Is You." You know, you know that song. <laughs> yeah, of course, that it's song, a good song. It's like it's a, it's just like a. He really paints a picture about growing up in the hood and the struggle and the 
and the fact that all you have is the people around you, your family, mm-hmm. and that's the real love. That's what really, really is. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, Wu Tang is pretty hard, you know, and yeah. I'm like listening to these hard ass songs, and yeah, and all of a sudden, Mary J comes on, and I'm like, the fuck, and I'm listening to the song, I'm like, all right, hear it out, Jose, and uh, and uh, yeah, but that song, that song is that song really always I listen to that song, mm-hmm. and and it and it uh it it uh feels some type of emotional response from me because I just remember, you know. Okay, growing up in the South Bronx, a lot of, a lot of tragedy, uh, a lot of tough lessons uh, learned just around me, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, and it just reminded me of 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 all those things that that you that you go through to kind of get you where you are, and and the things that you take for granted, and and the beauty even in in uh, in tragedy, you know, mm. you could you could find that if you're looking for that. So I mean, like I said before, I try to look at life in the frame of, of, of past, future, present, but I also try to find the metaphor in, everything, course, in course. everything that I do because we're having an interaction now and this is a real live physical interaction, but there's a metaphor here somewhere, you know what I mean? And I try to find that metaphor and, and I think that music does that very well. Movies yeah. Yeah. does that very well and they try to show a, a message behind what they're having to display for you. And, right. and uh, yeah, that was one of the, that's probably one of the, only songs that really really interesting can get me you like, know, like emotional like I listen to because it's just nostalgic there's three things that really come to mind one was you know when I told you I went to Europe when I was 17 yeah. and I was upset because I should have gotten a Jeep yeah. to stunt on uh-huh. folks that didn't believe in me instead my first year of college yeah. instead of going to college but uh, you know my mother Decided that they, you know this was best for the family for us. And to you got the Jeep from. anyway. I got the Jeep. You know, it took me two years, it's but I got, the Jeep. You got, I got the Jeep. And you um, did on fire on the road, but you got it. You got it. <laughs> you got it. That's another story, right? That's another story. Yeah, I got the Jeep. I mean, it caught fire yeah. in the highway, and uh, you know, most of my belongings got uh, turned into ashes. But uh, that's another story. Um, and I remember that summer, I had broken up with my high school girlfriend, mm-hmm. and I wasn't even thinking about it. You know, I'm too cool for school, baby. You yeah. see these braids? I had yeah. these braids in, in, in Europe, you know, and I was like, I'm thinking about college, like, you know, um, you know, my first year is going to be great, yep. you know, and uh, the next thing you know, I got so much downtime in Europe, and I started reflecting about the relationship and the only, that there was only one CD that my sister had. I didn't even think about packing a, a CD. Damn. And guess what that CD was? Mary J. My Life? Babyface. Oh, shit. Dude. Babyface. All I know is that I knew every lyric to that Babyface. He opened up He's layers of me. He's a fucking Dude. great writer. All of a sudden, yeah. I was like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's okay. Like, you know, and all of it, there was like maybe one night that I got emotional, like yeah. nobody saw me, but I yeah, went to the corner of the room. room. I'm like, yo, what the fuck, man? Yeah. But anyway, so that was one moment, right? Yeah. Another moment, um, oh, Baby documentary, Central Park Five. Oh. Um, the real, do- you know, not the yeah. real, but the actual documentary yeah, for yeah, Central yeah. Park yeah, Five. Yeah. yeah, dude, like I was dating someone and we went there, you know, as a, as a first date. Mm-hmm. We were both balling. I was wow. like, this is bullshit. Like, I didn't expect for this to be this intense. Yeah. These young kids, they have actual real footage of young kids being coursed into a confession, bro. Yeah, yeah that's heartbreaking. Yeah, so, so that, to me, triggered me, right? Yeah. Because, you know, I've had my own issues with the law. Yeah. The third thing was, um, I remember when I had traveled to Cuba, and um, that was around the time where my grandmother had passed. Yeah. 
So I come back and um, Kevin, shout out to Kevin, OPC Media, he invites me to this HBO show mm. where they're highlighting this artist from Cuba, Carl. He's called, he's called uh, Carlos Veras or Valeras or something like that. Mm -hmm. His music was a soundtrack for that movie that Denzel Washington did when he was trying to save the little white girl. Man on Fire. That's the one? Yeah. He was trying to, you know, he killed himself afterwards yeah. or something like that. Yeah. He died? Right. Yeah. So, um, um, all right. So, anyway, yeah, it's a great movie. Um, actually, she was a little white Mexican, right? Whatever. It doesn't matter. She was a good girl. She, <laughs> she deserved to be rescued, right? Yeah. Um, um, anyway. So I remember he had, I started digging into the soundtrack and he had a song about Havana, Cuba. And uh, the song was about reminiscing about how Cuba was before mm -hmm. the revolution, um, you know, how, you know, the people were, how, you know, people love their country and how he misses those old days mm -hmm. and how much he wants to go back to those old days and he reminisces over those old days, right? Yeah. So this was like maybe weeks after my grandmother had passed. So I hadn't really, like... Processed it. Processed it, you know. And, um, you know, and I was busy doing a, a whole bunch of things, you know, taking yeah, care of the yeah. funeral with, with my family, obviously. Shout out to my uncle, Dio Miguel. Um, yeah, so anyway, so I get on a train. I get on, on the two train going to Brooklyn. I get on the number two train. Get on 96, right? And that two train is supposed to take me all the way down to Borough Hall. Mm -hmm. So it's about maybe a 30-minute commute. Dude, I put that song on and... Uh, all of a sudden, I started analogizing that to my grandmother. Mm -hmm. yeah. And when I tell you that tears started streaming down my face yeah. from 96th Street to Borough Hall, mm -hmm. which is like a 30-minute commute, yeah. dude, and I couldn't stop it. Yeah, I couldn't stop yeah, it. And you know what? The metaphor everywhere. Yeah, and I kept on repeating the song because I was like, yo, is this really doing it to me? Like, I yeah. couldn't believe yeah. this song was triggering me yeah. in that way. Yeah. So that was really the last time art made me... I, I would... I would um... Was that before or after you went to Cuba? No, that was right after. Because okay. now I thought of Cuba in a different way. Yeah. And, you know, to add my, yeah, my would, grandmother's would, experience. If you can go to Cuba, I would recommend anybody. Oh, for sure, go for to, sure. Go to Cuba. I mean, it was, that was a cathartic experience for me. It was, I mean, you know, obviously we're Dominican and, and it's a different world mm -hmm. over there. And um, it was a very cathartic experience for me. For sure. I mean, this is post-Hunter. So post-Hunter, yeah, I've been, I've been just like an emotional faucet. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, like. Because I'm allowing myself, you know what I mean. Right, like I'm, allow, I'm allowing myself, and I'm, and and again, uh, integrating the ego. You're comfortable mm -hmm. doing some of those things because you're not worried about what other people think and how how you feel, and you're just like allowing yourself to, to do that. But yeah, I mean, that was a, a super cathartic experience for me. Yeah. Like like we, when we when I got back from Cuba, like like that thing was like the day after. Like yeah, like I mm. really cried. I really really cried, and and um, and I was like crying on my own, and I was like, what's wrong? And then I'm like. And, and and she had been crying too and I'm like why the fuck are we crying you know what I mean and it's a strange experience when you interact with the with the people over there and when you and as a Dominican when you kind of like you know wish that your country was a little bit like that in some senses like mm -hmm. hey I, I, I mean in Cuba I felt I mean obviously I was a tourist but I felt very safe mm -hmm. I was outside mm -hmm. I was on a malecon until 1am by myself with, mm -hmm. a, with, a, with a beer and you know people walking up to me and talking and nobody necessarily really wanted anything and that's just like especially as, as a new yorker that's like mm -hmm. completely new like to just drop your cynicism and and kind of like what i mentioned about when hunter was born feel something different and you're like wow this is fucking different right so i could imagine you coming back from cuba 
haven't experienced that and then it's almost like being in going back in time when right. you go to Cuba, of right? Of course. Yes. So, no, but that that right there was what triggered That's me. what played the role. Because yeah. when you go to Cuba, it's like what DR could have been if DR was never tainted by like US capitalism yeah. or by outside foreign influence. Or just or just what you in your mind envisioned it to be before before all of that right? happened. Right. And so like you see this world and now you just you just actually experienced it. And now you feel like you've stepped into your grandmother's shoes in a way. Mm-hmm. And you're hearing this song that reminds you about her and that experience. And now it's just all of a sudden. So again, you see the metaphors everywhere. Right. And it taught you a lesson. Right. So it's not necessarily the song that, that did that for you. Yeah. you know? It's just you allowing yourself to view the metaphor, experience the metaphor mm. uh, through the song. And it, and it drove you uh, uh, to have this emotional experience. You know, everything that we do is... You know, I know people use always use like the trite uh, phrase, everything happens for a reason. And to a degree, yes, but you create, you not not that you create the reason, but you have to find the reason. You know mm. what I mean? And sometimes right. the reason is 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 tangible, and then sometimes it's a metaphor. And, right. and so, again, you got to look for the metaphor in everything that, that you do, um, and it's going to allow you to stay present and look at life you know, in a in a way that can really uh, um, teach you, and you right. can teach yourself. Right. You know, you know, right. By experiencing that, I would have appreciated if my mother would have had a specific conversation with me before I went to Cuba. Mm. So two weeks after I got back from Cuba, yeah. you know, I decided to like you know preserve the experience by inviting my my mother to a Cuban restaurant, mm-hmm. and you know my sister tagged along. And it was there where my mother uh, told me very casually, oh, yeah, by the way, I forgot to tell you before you went to Cuba, uh, your grandmother's father was Cuban. I was like, what? (laughs) Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Wasn't that some important information that you could have told me before I went to Cuba? Yeah. To maybe, like, find some family members that exist. Like what the or or go or go on some type of more meaningful quest. Right. 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 So that you know, I found that to be yeah. funny and yeah. tragic at the same time. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but yes, yeah, so I thought that was so a missed opportunity. A missed maybe. opportunity. No, but not really because again, it's, you still got that. Oh yeah, for that sure. moment. For sure. Know? I for mean, sure. through through that song, through I mean, that look, art. Look, but it, you got that moment. If I was an emotional mess. After that, imagine yeah. if how much of an emotional mess I would have been during it. You're just if I would have been looking for family, right, 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 right. <laughs> Damn. Fucking around, you know, find a long lost cousin, and yeah. she looks exactly like my grandmother. I was like, no. Yeah. But um, anyway, um, so other than literature and other than art, you yeah. know, is there something that happened to you, um, you know, an event in your life that caused you to also switch the way that you moved? You know, you just brought up my one of my experiences, which was Jeep catching fire. <laughs> yeah. You know, after that, I've never been that fashionable. Uh, you know, that red leather. That red leather. red leather. I man. called it the Carl Thomas the leather. Carl Thomas. <laughs> it wasn't even red. It was crimson. Crimson. It was crimson. I used to wear yeah. it with a head wrap because yeah. that was when music came out. Yeah, yeah. Music you know, so teach me, you know. <laughs> that was... T- God yeah. damn, I was teaching others. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we all How to be that. cool. Yeah, I just burned yeah. myself. But, um, <laughs> um a good lighter, man. I mean, are you saying in terms of art or just like an experience? An experience, man. Like, obviously, I had my experience with the Jeep. I've also had my experience with, you know, what happened in Miami with the arrest. I'm going to say, so probably my wife only really knows this. Oh, shit. Um, 
but I mean, a lot of people know this. Like, my grandfather had ALS, ALS, which is Lou Gehrig's disease. Okay. Which essentially leaves you physically devoid of any type of physical abilities. Right. right? But your mind still can be active. Stephen Hawking, yeah. who's a famous cosmologist, uh, had ALS. And, know, and we know that he lived a long time communicating through his devices, and he mm-hmm. was still sharp, and he was still coming up with theories, etc., uh, over his lifetime. But I remember, uh, you know, before my grandfather passed, you know, first of all, I grew up next to Yankee Stadium. So, you know, I never, obviously I never saw Lou Gehrig play, but, you know, I grew up around Yankee lore and history. And so I I knew about Lou Gehrig's disease, never actually, and then when he was kind of diagnosed with it, um, I still didn't really understand it. But then like the summer before college, uh, you know, we visited my grandparents home and I sat I sat in a room across from my grandfather and he just stared at me Mm -hmm. he just stared at me and I knew that his brain was working though his body wasn't working he just stared at me and it just like I felt like he was trying to tell me things Mm -hmm. right that he couldn't tell me you know he just he just stared at me and you know he died probably a few weeks later uh but that moment always it kind of burned a hole in my soul because you know I couldn't tell if his if they were eyes of regret I couldn't tell what exactly was behind the stare but I know that he was trying to say something mm-hmm. you know and obviously what he was trying to say was something that he's never said before because otherwise he wouldn't have fixed on us uh, my brother was with me at the time so he wouldn't have fixed on us the way that he did you know I just remember soaking that in and just thinking like you know what caused this for Mm -hmm. him to have this issue and and also just like what does it feel like to be in that kind of like that Mm -hmm. that position Mm -hmm. you know again it made me think about wasted opportunities it made me think about life and things that you regret and how how you could potentially fix them so I kind of had this whole cathartic experience just with that stare, and I never forget that that stare because it was it was it was both awkward and enlightening at the same time. I was scared to death looking at him, but I couldn't look away, and um, hmm. and I don't even know if it was thirty seconds, but it felt like forever. Mm-hmm. And that moment to me was was really uh, impactful because I understood what I was looking at and it was a dead person, you know, alive, but gone, you mm. know. There was no coming back for him from that point. So whatever that he wanted to say, I know it has something, must have something to do with something that was not finished, undone, mm. or not. So to me, at that point, you know, it made me really examine my life and life in general and also death and what that means for us as humans for myself and the finality of our of our lives he had i guess the ability to stare down his grandson right and maybe try to drive some point home through the ether um which 
whether this was the point he was trying to drive or not, I, I created some meaning for me in that, in that, and, um, and again, just observing death to that point, I had never had a family member pass away. Mm -hmm. So I think I was probably eight, eight, 18 and then I went up to school and then I got the phone call that my grandfather passed away and I had already resigned that he was going to die. I already knew that he was going to die, but it was the first time that I, that death touched me. And then it was the, and it was the first time that I really took the veil over my eyes and realized that I'm immortal, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and that I think um, uh, started laying the foundation for my future frames of thought, uh, because you know our time here is finite. Right. Uh, no matter what we do, we're gonna be gone at a certain point, and um, you know. A lot of the decisions that we make as humans are are based on that finality, whether it is avoiding it or uh, um, some people seek it, and or or just for me, uh, that was my path towards accepting mm -hmm. death and the finality of life, and um, and then viewing my life through that prism, so that. I could get the most out of my experiences, mm -hmm. um, and um, and I, and I know that looking back at this at that point I didn't I didn't know that but that was that was really like the foundation of of uh, you know kind of like my mindset today, and um, I wouldn't say it's death centered or death focused, but is there's an awareness of finality, and I think if twenty twenty hasn't taught that to everyone then you need to re-examine yourself and understand that, that this, this year has taught us that, again, the world around us ha has been constructed and um, the people around us are not going to be there forever. You're not right. going to be here forever. Right. And, and there will come a moment when you cease. There's going to come a moment when the universe ceases. Mm -hmm. It will just all come to an end. Yeah. Uh, and... And um, you have to be okay with that and then live your life uh, in accordance right. with that right. so that you can get the most out of it. Right. And it's, and it's um, thank you for sharing that. And I've also had... It's my biggest fear, by the way. Yes? Alls. Alls, okay. Being trapped. Right, being trapped in being your Being able to speak, right. do everything, or at least in my mind, but physically not being able to. So like trapped, like I saw him as like, Right. I'm, so, I'm watching the dead man live right now. So, you know, that's interesting. You talk about your biggest fear. Um, my biggest fear um, that I just recently acknowledged um, was through the experience of, of, of watching my grandmother die. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and it, you know, it's interesting that you talk about how death, you know, in some way, you know, shapes how you look at life, right? Mm -hmm. And um, And that experience for me was life-altering and that happened to me later in my life you know um that took the veil out you know off my eyes like you like you described yeah. when it came to not only myself being mortal but my mother being mortal because mm -hmm. now these folks that pretty much helped raise me you know governed me for most of <laughs> continue to govern me right mm -hmm. you know all of a sudden they were fading into this darkness that I didn't know where that would end up, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, um, and yes, I do believe in the afterlife or, 
to some extent, but you know, still a, a part of me didn't know what was happening. Where was this person going? Mm -hmm. And when my grandmother got sick, um, it was the beginning of the end for old Charlie. Mm -hmm. And old Charlie took people for granted, mm -hmm. loved ones for granted. And um, I remember when the doctors said that she had at most 48 hours to live and that they were going to remove the machine. Mm -hmm. I went into the bathroom and my mother, for some reason, sensed that I was emotional. She tried to like barge herself in there. She did. She was successful in that. She saw me cry. Um, and then, you know, we just hugged each other. And she, and she told me, I know you love your grandmother. You know, this is a part of life. And I was like, okay, this, you know, it is what it is, right? And, um, and I remember um, me coming back the next day. Again, they told me 48 hours. So I, I'm thinking more optimistically yeah. that I'm going to have my 48 hours with my grandmother. Yeah. But I come the next day um, within 24 hours. Yeah. And as soon as I walk in, I have two cousins sitting by her side. And as they're talking amongst themselves, they don't realize that my mother is gasping for air. Mm -hmm. Now, my mother has been on, my grandmother was unconscious for several days already. Yeah. You know, so here she is gasping for air. And they told me that when the time of death was near, mm -hmm. that those breaths would be separated mm -hmm. by a longer time, by longer periods. So I was watching closely, you know, how separated these breaths were. And they were so heavy that I knew that her, her time was coming. coming. As that drew me to her, because I felt that I needed to be there, I just sat down and I started, you know, holding her. And then at that point, my cousins realized what was happening and one of them took off. She couldn't experience that. Yeah, yeah. You know, she didn't want to experience yeah. that. And I, and I don't blame her. You know, and to be quite honest, I didn't want to experience yeah. that. I didn't want to be there for that. But I had to. Like, yeah. something told me that I had to. And while the other cousin, shout out to Erika, who was on her way towards the exit, towards the, um, the door, to leave the room, she decided to come back for me. Mm -hmm. And she put her hand on my left shoulder as I was watching my grandmother take her last, you know, her last deep breaths. Yeah. So as she was approaching her last couple of breaths, they became so heavy that it woke her up out of her unconsciousness. And she opened her eyes for a few seconds. Mm. And as she opened her eyes for a few seconds, she was able to glance at me. And when she was able to glance at me, she just shrugged her shoulders. Mm. And I said, you know what? Yeah. For many months, many days, I've been praying for your recovery. Yeah. Now I want to switch it and tell yeah. you, you've done great in this lifetime. And you can go. Yeah. You can go. We're here. I am who I am because of you. Wow. You've done so much in this lifetime. Another world, another life awaits you. I'm, so I'm smiling because I had a very similar experience. And I'm sure a lot of people have. Uh, but I had a very similar experience. But you see, what, I, what I'm saying is there was a metaphor there. Your cousin who left the room, afraid of death. She doesn't want to understand death. Doesn't want to see it. Doesn't want to deal with it which is the way a lot of people live. You don't want to... Anything that reminds you of your finality is pushed aside. You want to live here in the material, physical mm -hmm. world. And then there's the person who says, you know what? 
I know I'm in the material physical world. I've been praying for this person to stay here in the material physical world, but I also accept and understand that this comes to an end. And guess what? There's some beauty in that, and that's okay. Right. And you allow your grandmother to, you know, at least from your perspective, you know, uh, uh, draw her last breath in, with relief. So, you know? and that's where the lesson was. Draw her last breath with relief. Mm-hmm. Not only because I told her that, but what I took from that was that instead of seeing anybody for the last time, mm-hmm. she saw someone that loved her. You know, she left by looking at someone that had this look of love. Mm-hmm. You know, not yeah. just a random stranger. Yeah. And what really affected me was that afterwards, as I tried, you know, as I processed it, was that I was told that. When I was born, you know, they 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 took me out of my mother's womb, mm-hmm. right? And they gave me to my grandmother. Mm-hmm. So she was the first look of love that I saw there you, as there I you. entered this world. And mm-hmm. I was the last look of love that yeah. she saw when she exited this yeah. world. So you see, you saw you saw it. You saw and, and that's and that's what life is. There's a there's a physical, there's a reality. Like do your thoughts exist? Because you don't act on them, or do they ex- or do they still exist, right? Uh, so there, there's a there's a men- mental aspect to it. You're allowing yourself now to understand the metaphor that was provided to you there, mm-hmm. and maybe your grandmother understood that too. So like, wow, he's holding my hand, and I held him when he was born. You know, maybe she understood that, and that gave her comfort. You know, and at at that time, but there's a, a very poignant lesson in our mortality in death and we need to understand it and accept it we need to uh, because it's real and it will happen to everybody mm-hmm. it's the only thing that connects all of us no matter what right we will be gone maybe right. maybe not Ray Kurzweil Ray Kurzweil thinks he's gonna live forever God bless him Take a lot of pills and download your brain into a computer and live forever. Uh, if you can do it, do it. For the rest of us, we're we're right. gonna we're gonna leave, you right. know. Right. And you have to understand that, accept that, and uh, and I think there was um, you know, I'm not sure of the people's names. I know Freud also had this as a concept, which is just like basically like anything that we do is driven by our fear of death basically mm. you know mm. uh if yeah. you if you if you couldn't if you knew that you weren't going to die would we be having a podcast right now right if you probably knew you had a not. thousand years probably not to do this podcast this is my way of staying immortal correct if you if you knew you had a thousand years of doing this podcast chances are we probably wouldn't be doing this right. podcast right so it adds value yeah death reminds you of life yeah it reminds you of life that's what it's supposed to be that's the metaphor you know, you have to understand that. You have to understand that it's there and it's teaching everyone every day. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, mm-hmm. it's not a, I mean, maybe it's a karma thing. I don't know. Uh, but but it's 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 a reality. We we have, uh, you know, I'm not going to get too too much into the Bible, but I can answer it, brother. The, you know, obviously the, the, the Bible has Genesis and it explains to you what happened, you know, to, to people. And, and um, you know, God kicked people out of the garden, they beat him, and essentially that made us mortal. 
Mm-hmm. You know, he said you could you ate from the tree of knowledge, but you're not going to eat from the tree of life, which keeps you immortal. You right. got to go. Right. And uh, so humans are now subjugated to to a, a or or relegated to a, a death. Now we have to experience death, but the experience of death is is a is a teacher. You have to use and harness the energy from that metaphor and learn the lesson. And you have to learn it early. You know, why is it that those kids you see in those commercials that they they have, you know, these life-threatening diseases, leukemia, cancer, St. Jude Hospital, and these kids, they're smiling wider than I ever smiled in my whole mm-hmm. life. And you're mm-hmm. like, wow, you got the rawest fucking deal. You're seven. And you may not make it to ten. Mm. But you have this smile. And it's just this, you know, these kids have accepted that and it allows them to live their daily lives with meaning every day and that's something that a lot of people don't do can't do um just like your cousin who walked out of the room they just can't face that it reminds them too much it's scary just to think about it and then for others it's just like all right i'm just gonna grab onto this for a second because there's something to learn here and um if i if i embrace this long enough then I may get something of value that is going to allow me to live a more rich life in a way that I that that uh, I I can continue to pass that down to other people um, right. and and um and again through my experiences if I look at the world in that way past present future of understanding my finality then maybe some issues don't seem as big right as they right. as they as they appear and that's one of the reasons why it's really hard for me to hold any grudges. Yeah. Because uh, I look at it from the end. I don't look at it from the beginning. I don't look at it from the mem- you know, from the present moment. Yeah. I look at it as 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 if I'm looking at you, and not to sound all morbid, but I'm looking at you as if you're you're laying down in your casket. Yeah. And if I didn't get a chance to say anything to you mm-hmm. before we had whatever was going on, yeah. What would be my emotion at the time? Yeah. How would I feel? Would I regret not? Forgiving, yeah. would I regret uh, depriving ourselves of good moments because of something, some incident that in the Doesn't greater really scheme, matter. in the greater scheme of things, do not matter. Doesn't really matter. You know, and that's and again, and I think that speaks to my philosophy when it comes to like being balanced, and yeah. you know, that also speaks to my zodiac sign, which is like the scales, right? And mm-hmm. it's not, it's only the scales of judgment if you view it as such yeah. i view it as as a scale of like of wearing yeah of a weighing balance and the only way i can find yeah. that balance is if would be to know when i'm off balance yeah. you know how can i judge my centeredness if i've never been off centered you know i've had to go deep on the edge on the left or on the right in order for me to find value on, or in order for me to properly identify what is my center so in doing that, whenever I see people that are too far to the left, too far to the right, and I'm not talking about politically, yeah. but in, in their actions, yeah. you know, I always see it as, okay, they're not centered right now. But you know what? There was a time, there was a moment where I wasn't centered. Mm-hmm. You know, but that moment itself taught me how to be centered. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so again, and, and that speaks to that philosophy of not holding grudges. Yeah, which is, which is again why I said that I look at the past, present, future, because you can live in the moment, but, but you can't judge Right. Right. because everything uh, everything has layers to it uh, um, and accepting accepting your finality is very important 
understanding the metaphor that we live in, which is, you know, in, in the balance of life and death, uh, um, it allows you to live a richer, fuller life. And, um, and you have to accept it. And, and unfortunately, like I said, we've experienced this year where we lost a lot of people probably a, ahead of their time in terms of expectation. You know, I haven't experienced it directly myself, thankfully. But, you know, even as early as today, I got bad news about someone that passed away. A young guy, 35 years old. Um, um, my aunt's nephew, which was heartbreaking, you know, four kids. And he, and he passed away uh, seemingly for no reason. You know, and as sad and as difficult as it is, I have to learn my lesson from that. You know, and I have to take that and understand that and digest it and realize that, hey, look. That guy's no different than me. Right. You know, that could be me tomorrow. Yeah. So when I have an argument with my wife, when I when I chastise my son, is it is it pain towards that larger picture? Towards that whole that, that whole picture. And if it isn't then it isn't worth it. Like you said, mm-hmm. you gotta you gotta look at the end. Jo- you know, I, you know, I to to piss off my wife when we argue, I always I always tell her like, Okay, are you gonna divorce me? No. Okay, so then why are we arguing, right? Mm-hmm. Look towards the end of it. Look towards the very end of this whole I'm argument. I'm gonna use that. I'm gonna use how that is, <laughs> how is it when I'm at that? How point. is it? Uh, how is this argument gonna end? Is it gonna end with us turning our separate ways, or is it gonna end with a resolution? So forget about it. If it's if it's gonna end with the resolution, then we need to get to that resolution right now. Right, you know right, what I mean? Right, right. Let's not waste time. We right. we get to that resolution right now, and it's okay to feel angry and be in your moment and be in your thing and feel how you feel. And I'm not. I don't want to take that away from people because that's that's reality. But I always try to bring it back to that perspective because, again, there's we can't waste time. We can't mm. waste time. That's the only thing that we have. You know, when you hang out with somebody, when you watch a game, when you when you when you go do whatever the hell that you want to do, like understand that you're paying mm-hmm. every single time. You're paying, and is it and is is what I'm paying into worth? it right now to my end game and where do I want to leave the world or my life uh, when I when I get there because I will get there right you know people say for retirement but there's a world after retirement right it's called death mm-hmm. so what what are you paying towards death where's your where's your your death fund and I'm not saying death meaning like your casket and your stuff which is another issue that's a big issue but what are you paying towards that moment where everybody all of a sudden finds Jesus or whatever? You know what I mean? Like, right. like what, where, where are you paying towards that moment? So when you see your grandmother there and you're holding your, her hand there, you saw your birth, right? She maybe saw your birth, but maybe she also seen your death and just saying, hey, Charlie's going to get there too one day, right? And when he gets there, he's going to be holding the hand of someone that he loves hopefully and that's hopefully that's that's my biggest fear that it's not someone i love i guess time time will time will tell but you could you could work your way to that moment you know you can if you want to you know what if we're if if any of you are crying blame it on the alcohol that jose brought which is an amazing alcohol meant to uh make you an emotional mess (laughs) called oban oban yeah Oven, single malt, scotch whiskey, numero 18. Good lord. That's it right there. I told you to fill a double cup. (laughs) You didn't listen to me. Get into the production assistant. (laughs) There you go, brother. So, oh, 
you know, previously we spoke about how being a parent has changed you. Mm-hmm. How has being a husband changed you? Oh, wow. Uh, it's an interesting question. Um, you know, I think at first, you know, my parents, they've been married for, I think this is 38 years, 39 mm-hmm. years. Um, so that's the experience that I had, you know, coming from a family where couples together. I know my parents argued, but I never saw them argue. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, my wife had the complete opposite experience. Her parents divorced when she was young. Um, you know, my parents were around the same age. Her parent, her father was a lot older than her mom. Um, and so I think her view of marriage was a lot different from my view of marriage. Mm. My view of marriage was shit happens, it's going to get tough, you're going to have to stick through it together, you work it out, you're building a world together, we have duties, and, um, you know, the go- going back to kind of like that stoic philosophy, like, I'm very firm on what those, on your duties, you know, like, these are things that you're supposed to do, and you can't see your way around those things. So I had my views on what marriage was and what the duties are of a husband and of a wife. Um, and, and not speaking for her, but from my perspective, she, that's not the view that she had. Her view was husband and wife, but if it gets rough, I always got a way out, right? There's not, this is not forever, right? Like I don't have to come to an agreement for everything, right? Like I, I can always find my way out. And, um, and, and so, you know, at first I think there was, there was a challenge of, of, expectation of trying to put expectation on you know what she expected versus what I expected and the tension that that brought uh to the relationship and then you know after after that you know when I realized that that you know that was not healthy for our relationship and that I was putting an undue pressure on her that she just couldn't understand because that wasn't her experience um you know I think it it really helped us take off as a couple and um you know as as a as a husband you know being that i'm really heavily on stoic philosophy and duty like i i again i take the roles very seriously um but it it has it has changed me in terms of confidence because before i had the luxury of being able to second guess myself Mm. Whereas now, as the leader of my family, I um, I have to be sure and resolute in my decisions sooner, earlier, mm. and um, you know, also just from a a social perspective, just of dealing with another person, mm-hmm. right? It help has helped me grow as well because when I look at my life through the lens of that duty as a husband. And understanding that this is something that you know we're gonna be here and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna work at at, at whatever it is. Um, I think it's it's also helped me uh, in in terms of understanding other people mm. uh, because you have no choice but to give yourself to this person to view that person as a part of you mm. and include that person. In everything. Um, and I think for some people, if you're still in a selfish mindset, it's very hard to have that type of relationship 
because you're always looking for yourself but you know when you're in a marriage you have to look for both people always mm. you know what's best for me has to be what's best for her or mm. it's not what's best for me and that's so something that I had to that I had to accept so you know what how has it changed me is just perspective and um and again looking at those moments and accepting the metaphor in, in those moments and trying to learn I mean there's reality there's reality there's things that you really learn and then there's again there's those metaphor those metaphorical lessons uh, that you have to learn uh, from your from your interactions and from reality that that uh, that will help guide you uh, uh, throughout your life and marriage is work you gotta you have to want to make it work mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's just like anything else. You know, like sometimes people ask me about that and they say, wow, you guys have been together for a long time. And it's, you know, what do you do? And it's like, yeah, look, it's not easy. It's hard all the way through. But that's that's what you sign up for. Right. You know, that's that's your duty in that. It's hard all the way through. You know, look look at our world today, our country right now, and just the division and just uh, the, the frameworks that are out there and people's um, perceptions and just trying to get two people to agree on anything is, right. is very challenging these days and to do that in your life all the time and every time is just you know even more daunting and I can understand why there's not a why there's a you know high divorce rate etc it has changed me from a from that perspective of just understanding other people giving in when I need to and um uh you know we talked about killing the ego earlier but just again the ex- accepting when it's not my turn to lead or mm. my turn to be right, right quote unquote or as Chris Rock says play the tambourine play the tambourine right, that's right, it right. you're not you're not a you're not Michael Jackson you, you're, right. you're Tito you're Tito yeah. <laughs> sometimes you gotta be hey, Tito hey, and that's okay. Tito, and that okay. that's okay that's okay that's okay my man my man you're also a man of poetry so talk yeah. to me about where poetry comes from. Um, so a couple of things. Uh, it was a way of therapy. You know, I, I talked about Marcus Aurelius earlier and how he wrote his journal and his meditations and that helped keep him grounded. And, you know, as I tried to do that myself, it started to come out in a way that was like abstract. And, you know, I would write it and again for myself for a while and then part of it was just you know stepping out of my comfort zone and again when you accept death then you look at life differently and you have to understand that you know there are things that you have to push yourself to do no matter what so uh getting out of your comfort zone in order to best live life so Mm -hmm. for me like sharing my first poem quote whatever it was just very there there was a high level of anxiety uh towards it even though it was my uh um my therapy right like just like writing these things just helping me stay focused grounded Mm -hmm. or just relieve some stress um so i was you know writing for a long time just for myself and then to share it was you know there was a lot of anxiety behind it and i finally did and i just felt good Mm -hmm. so um, you know, I kept sharing stuff again, just really as a form of therapy for myself. Right. As a form of release. Form of release. And especially you being, as you agreed, 
somewhat reserved, yeah. a reserved person, yeah. someone that wears all black, you know, <laughs> you know, for you to, you know, bring out these thoughts, um, I'm sure has a, a different effect. You know, if I was to, first of all, your poetry is really good, and I've told you this, Thank and you. I've, and I've, you know, always encouraged you publishing this yeah. poetry, and no. I know. And I know you, like I, we connect on the fact that we're both like shadow artists, you know, and, um, you know, but I've come out the shadows, man. You're here now because I've come out the shadows and I know you're doing that as well. When I think about your art, I think about a reflection of life in that there is no rhyme or reason and that's okay. Yeah. And that's okay. So So the question is, how are you going to deal with that? How are you going to deal with the fact that you don't have all the answers? Mm-hmm. You know, how are you going to see that as a way to like still wake up and continue to be your best self? Yeah. And live a life worth living. Yeah. Even though you have that knowledge, you know, yeah. that insight. Because that is an insight, you know? I mean, a, lo- a lot of what I write is, is uh, you know, death is a major theme overtly or subtly because again I feel like there's a big metaphor in that we we're walking we're all walking towards that and I think that the contemplation not dwelling on death helps you find good meaning mm-hmm. and I saw a lot of the stuff that would just come out of me because I never sit down and like actively write like I don't sit down and say I want to write something it's just more like if I'm feeling something and it comes out and it flows and sometimes it takes weeks sometimes it takes months sometimes uh, um, I just have a fleeting thought, and then I'm just so pissed that I never wrote it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but but yeah, I mean, a lot of it is just is centered on 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 that uh, kind of finality, so that you can best appreciate what you have in front of you. And um, and again, it was therapy for me, and it was just like constantly reminding myself of of things like that, and then it just became something that that I decided that I wanted to share. And, um, you know, I think I've gotten, you know, good response from people that, that, that like, I, I, w- I wasn't looking for a response as much as I was just looking to put it out there for myself. Um, and, and that felt good uh, just because I knew it was a, a level of overcoming a fear and also a level of putting myself out there, because you said, like you said, I'm I'm reserved, and sometimes I meet new people, and and I'm not good with small talk. So I was like, like you know, it's, it's, <laughs> hey, how are you doing? Yeah, yeah. yeah Do the, you believe in God? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's not a there's not a lot of how's the weather conversation for me. Like I, I would always joke with coworkers because people ask you that like on the elevator, like, hey, so how are you doing? And I'm like, all right, I'm really gonna tell you right now. <laughs> like, and then people was just like, uh. Uh, we don't have enough time on this elevator to get into this. I'm like, so don't fucking ask me because I'm going to give you the real how I'm doing. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, so like like it comes from like that 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 place. And some of it is just, again, it's just really uh, uh, um, ambiguous and, and, is, and is meant to pro- provoke thought. Right. And, um, and I think that that's, that's what everyone should be doing. You shouldn't be looking at things from two or three different angles you should be critically thinking everything you should be looking for the meaning behind everything and um you know we talked about music earlier but like you know like some people say oh the rappers today are trash and i'm like you know what old people said that in 94 about the wu-tang right like it's like you like that you're you're just you're just old you know you just don't understand 
their their lingo today so you have to you have to look past the words and sometimes find right. the meaning right? right like just the meaning because some things are just abstract no one's mm-hmm. just gonna give it to you mm-hmm. we talked about art a painting is there and sometimes art is very is overt like the one behind you it's slapping you in the fucking face it tells you exactly what it wants you to think and it's right there and then there's some art that is completely the opposite that it's just like you know a banana on a wall <laughs> and yeah. and uh, and then it's just like wow, what do I think of this? And and you have to find find that meaning. And some of the stuff I write is like that. And and I know for myself that I've shared with people, and they're like, wow, I really like that. What does it mean? And I'm like, well, yeah, what does it mean to you? Like, I don't know. Right. Like, it, you know, I know maybe what it means to me, but like, what does it mean to you? Right. And um, and I think that we're we're in a world where we're used to having everything spoon fed to you right, and right. given to you that we're we're uh, afraid to make meaning of things for ourselves and um and the best things are the things that you make the meaning for or yourself so i don't like to right. i don't like to mess you know and a lot of artists don't want to explain their art because it's right. just like hey I want, I want you to come f- to get from this what you want to get from it and um that's interesting. That in That's interesting because now, well, whether it's it's art, you know, abstract art, or whether it's writing, um, modern day literature really um, glorifies the writer who makes it simple. Yeah. Who uses common language, mm-hmm. as opposed to in the past, where uh, you know these writers, these judges. Uh, would use these like very abstruse language, mm-hmm. you know, to appear sophisticated, and not everyone knew what the hell they were talking about. Yeah. But it was artful yeah. because it showed their eloquence, it showed their level of education, yeah. and that was art, right? But even though I don't agree with the way they did it, I do agree with the fact that you shouldn't spoon feed people what the meaning is without, you know, you don't need all that language, no. you, you know, you, but you know that with less is more. It takes a lot more creativity for me to write a short essay than it does a long essay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I, I because I don't that. need to spoon fed you. I yeah. don't need to spoon fed you, and I also want to give you enough for you to think for yourself. Yeah, I want to give you enough to think for yourself. That that that's a that's a challenge that I have about um, you know, like my wife always says, oh, you should you should do videos on your poems. You should read your poems. I'm like, oh, I don't want to read them because I don't want to emphasize words that are gonna make people digest this in a way that I, I you know like i just want them to get it themselves right. or, or not get it whatever right. it's fine uh because it's not in the beginning at least it, it's not about other people it's not it's just it was about me how i'm feeling and i'm sharing it because i think there's someone out there will probably understand this or maybe if they don't they will come up with their own meaning uh to it and and then you know find it worthy or beautiful right, or, or right. sharing or, or something or, or just impacting them the way that I was impacted by Marcus Aurelius or or uh, other other writers and poets uh, Aesop and Rudyard Kipling and um, Walt Whitman and Langston Hughes and you know just uh, the poets of of the ages and, and their ability to write and, and give those metaphors mm. so yes when you talk about these poets from the ages, right? Uh, you know, many of them didn't find great value in providing meaning that was accessible to the masses. They wanted people to 
you know, kind of like look at their work and kind of like come up with their own meanings, mm-hmm. right? Those that have made us think about our own lives are the ones that are, you know, tend to be remembered, right? Yeah. But when someone doesn't want to take it there, when someone feels that they are uncomfortable with the emotion that you are provoking through your art, mm-hmm. which can be, if I was to put a color on it, would be a dark gray. Yeah. No shade, right? <laughs> dark yeah. gray. A lot of people aren't very willing to put themselves in that state of mind. No. You know, ignorance, you know, when, when we talk about happiness, yeah. you know, happiness is from what I've seen, and, you know, many people can correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I've seen is the more you know, mm-hmm. the less you are happy. Yeah. yeah. The more you, you have, are. You have the, burden, you have the burden of knowledge now. And that burden of knowledge means that now you understand uh, the different layers and now you have you have the option to interact with those layers or not. So it's you, you choose that and then you decide which layers are important. Mm. And um, yeah, and there are plenty of people who have a fear of certain concepts um, because it, it doesn't fit in with their everyday cocoon. And that's really what it is. It's just a it's just a cocoon, a nice, wonderful, protective shell that keeps everything around you warm and comfortable. Right. And um and where there is no contemplation of your finality, where there is no uh acceptance of your duty and your real uh, uh nature and and where there's just pleasure. Right. You know, basically, and, and I think you maybe talked about this with Joe a little bit, but there's a certain level of discussion that would be very difficult for other some people to have because of what it reminds you of. And so we talked about the movie that made me have an emotional reaction, and that's what it reminded me of, and that song reminded you of your grandmother, and then sometimes you read stuff, and then it just, wow. I'm on my way to work, to work my nine to five and um, thinking about my mortality and now how am I going to live the rest of my day when I have this thing in the back of my head uh, but you're looking at it as this thing in the back of your head is like a, is like haunting you in a fearful way when it should be motivating you but it should be like wow don't have a lot of time here so right. everything I do every minute I take is valuable and I should be looking to get the most out of everything that I do even if it's at this job for nine to five I gotta do as much as I can right now uh, because when I waste time I'm only wasting my time right right you know, time is relative to everyone that is actually I mean just about proven mm-hmm. is relative time works differently for you than it does for me we may live in the same bubble, but it does. It works differently. It may be minute, but it works It works differently. Time works differently. Right. And for some people, it's very hard to embrace some of those concepts, especially the concepts that deal with mortality or your finality, because now you have to really deal with it, and you have to really look at it. And when you really look at it, it reminds you that some of the stuff that you're doing is futile. It makes no sense. So let me ask you this. Why are you doing it? Let me ask you this, because you, you know, from what I understand, from what I know, you've been a reader, you've been a writer for a long time, yeah. you know? And, and just recently, you wanting to publish the work 
that you've done. How have you been maintaining all of those years where you've been wanting to let out this creativity, Mm -hmm. understanding, having a hyper understanding of death and your time here? Yeah. And going on with your day as if you, every day is... It's, it's, it's interesting that, that, that you mentioned that because that the duality of, of the thought here is that subtract ego, like, I don't, I don't want to be famous. I don't want to put this out there for recognition mm. and pats on my back, mm. right? Right. And then, and then the other part of you that wants to do it for a whole other reason, but those things in today's world, they have to come together. So like you said, like, integrating the ego like i think that that is what's ultimately will will help me to finalize that goal Mm -hmm. because it is it is a goal part of it is just me as a perfectionist and not um wanting to let things go but as i speak to other artists and and um and and a famous quote i don't know who it's attributed to uh, but it's just that, like, basically, like, art is never done, it's abandoned. Mm-hmm. And that's really how I feel. Like, sometimes I write stuff, and, like, I can literally go back to it and add more or take away and whatever. One day I love it, one day I hate it. And um, I get overly critical. Uh, and I think sometimes that that, that can hold me back. Uh, but then I have to remind myself, and I have to go back, and I have to get grounded, and I have to try to, you know, push push through it and get it out. And again... Not for others or for recognition, but just because I know that this is something that I want to do. And along the lines of my own frame of thought that I'm saying is how we should all be looking at the world. Then I got to embrace that myself and I got to push myself to do things. And that's something that I've been fighting with for a couple of years. And and this year, I think, has has really magnified that uh, because, again, um, our our finality has been in full display. Right. And also, we talked about the veil. The veil of this uh, uh, construct has been removed. Mm-hmm. You know, who would have thought that the economy could shut down? Nobody, right. Right. Right? Like, right. Like, who would have thought that that would have led to literally your everyday life changing mm-hmm. completely? In a way, and that threw a lot of people off. Of course, because a lot of people identify their self conception with what they well, what they were doing with you know for work, yeah. and with uh, work or with their time or with their know? time. And right. It's like, oh, no more brunch. Who right. am I? Who am I? Yeah, the gym is closed. Yeah, I can't work Who on my I? body and yeah. take selfies. Yeah, Who the fuck am I? Who the fuck am I? Yeah, yeah. but you talked about going back and forth, which brought me to this next thought. What would you tell your younger self, your younger self poet? Now, knowing what you know. That's a good question. Um, this is what I do. <laughs> Swish. Um, no, I, I think... Um, I would just say, let go. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and that's pretty much it. You know, whatever you're holding on to, whether it's that creative plug or... Uh, grief or contempt ego just let it go let it go because there's there's again there's only one truth in this world and and the and the, the real truth is that you won't you won't be here in 60 years 70 years whatever it is like you're not going to be here that's the only truth so you got to live your life in accordance with that truth mm-hmm. and, and once you do then 
the world is your oyster because then you're not thinking about other people's reaction and and or expectation or what they'll think of you uh then you're just doing and 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 i know some people can take that as oh well that applies to pleasure then so you just live your life in a hedonistic way and do whatever the hell you want want to do i guess if that's what you feel is fulfilling for you you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna knock your your choices uh but again i i'm i have a more stoic philosophy so it mine is more uh grounded on three principles which is uh either vanity duty or art and i allow myself uh leeway in any of those uh principles so anything i do has to you know i have to i have to understand whether it is for vanity for duty or for art mm. so i think that's what i would give him and i would just say if you could understand this sooner then um maybe not focus so much on the duty and focus more on the art mm-hmm. or not focus not focus i said fake as a that's a Freudian slip there not fake is mm-hmm. not fake is not on the vanity don't focus so much on the vanity mm-hmm. who you're hanging out with where you're going uh, what you're wearing who you're wearing uh don't focus so much on the vanity maybe focus more on the on the art or you know and find that balance between those things to be just better and that encourage others to be better mm. without being forceful because i think for me when i when i kind of found uh you know we talk about kind of like what what shifted my personal philosophy you know at that time i was more like very overtly trying to push that on mm. others you need to do this have the same mindset duty perspective mm-hmm. you know stop fucking up whatever whatever and uh you know that's that's not it you know like that's not it i can't i can't speed up your time clock you know is is on a different is on a different level so yeah just accept understanding that and then just also not forcing your ideals on other people mm-hmm. uh because your um and i forget who this quote is attributed to but paraphrasing like your your ideals are yours alone you know like in this country right now we're going through an election and we're going and we see that there's two opposing sides and and it's always one side or the other and it always seems like everyone on this side agrees with everything on this side and everyone on this side agrees with everything on this side but that can't be it cannot be it's, yeah. it can't be it's not that's not that's not really the way it is like there's there's differencing of of opinion all 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 through that you said a lot in that and that letting go is something that I think most people, most shadow artists like ourselves, yeah. uh, would be something that we would tell our younger selves. Mm-hmm. You know, just to speak a little bit about myself, I remember, as far as I can remember, I was always interrupted as a child. Mm. So whenever I opened my mouth to talk, I wasn't only talking about what I wanted to say, but I was also trying to anticipate That's the right. interruption yeah. and how to defend mm-hmm. against that interruption. Yep. Um, and look at you now. Yeah, defending. For a living. <laughs> for a living, right? Defending for a living. Um, but defending, there's a reactional component to that, right? So when you're acting intentionally, you're not defending, you're mm-hmm. actually intending, right? Yeah. And, um, and I feel that 
and especially in my in my very important years as a child, um, I wasn't given my voice. You know, I wasn't mm-hmm. allowed to voice out my opinion. Um, you know, I was told to do certain things just for the sake of it, just to keep structure. Yeah. I was raised. I'm very fortunate. I was raised by loving parents, um, but the culture wasn't one that empowered the child to speak his mind. Yeah. To let him go. A thousand percent. Or yeah. or when you did speak your mind, it wasn't one where someone would pay attention. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, again, you know, so I've had to overcome that. I have had to grapple with that inner child in order to arrive where I'm at now where it's like, okay, I need to let go. So I echo that sentiment that you just said. Mm-hmm. In your opinion, what do the best poems have in common? That they provoke you to have an, an illicit response right so whether that's emotional anger happy sad right whatever it is just that you're provoked to feel and the that right there is is it yeah you know and that's that's probably one of the reasons why i started writing and then sharing and you know i think you know i loved poetry as a child um, Langston Hughes was uh, the dude that was taught about directly in, in school and um, and he had, he had a poem about a, is it, I think it's called, I, think, I don't know if it's called Crystal Stair or it's one of his very famous poems but he talks about like a mom is t- speaking to a child about how life is not mm-hmm. this crystal staircase mm-hmm. and, um, and I just I just remember being moved by that mm-hmm. not necessarily knowing what it meant but I just remember being moved by that. And so, yeah, I think that's that's what it is. If it just elicits some type of, uh, of response, and it doesn't have to be an emotional response. It's just something that allows you to think. Again, critically think and think deep about a subject. Right, you know, right. I think, uh, again, not dwelling, but contemplating. We have to contemplate things. We have to in order to fully... Uh, um, digest them and react to them you know i think today in today's culture we get shit thrown at us so quickly that we don't we don't take the time to really do that anymore right we look at stuff we create an opinion and then we're either liking it swiping away from it or making a provocative comment Mm -hmm. on it right but right away done gone next thing Right. And um and then we don't we're not we're not giving ourselves enough time anymore to contemplate. Right. And um And to truly appreciate contemplation you have to also accept the emotion that it's provoking. It could be negative, it could be positive, it could be in between. And then then the why. And then the why, right. That's the critical thinking part of it. Why? All right. Uh you know, my degree is in education and the reason I stopped I didn't I didn't want to go into the classroom is when you know, I was teaching something, and and uh, textbook said to teach it one way, and I and I was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not teaching. I had a textbook that had a picture, pictures, series of pictures of how the pyramids in Egypt were built, and I was like, nobody knows how they were built. Why is this textbook explaining how right. they were built? Right. And the textbook was explaining how they were built because we're not teaching people to critically think we're giving them the answers along mm. the way and if there's no answer then then you know we don't want that we don't want someone to not 
know, know something. The, know that right. there's an answer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So hold up. I'm sorry. What book was that? This was a textbook. I was a textbook. Teaching. You were teaching. Yeah, I was teaching at the time. Okay. Yeah. And I remember going to my, I was student teaching. I remember going right. to my cooperating teacher, wonderful woman, beautiful person. And um, and I was like, uh, uh, like. Why is this happening? Like, no, no. I, I, I was just like, I am not teaching this right here. Like, this is actually wrong. Right. And, and not only is it wrong, but I'm robbing these children of the ability to critically think. Not everything's gonna have have an answer, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, like like um, you know, it's funny. I was listening to a this Brian Cox. He's a I don't know if he's an astrophysicist or a cosmologist. I'm not sure what his title is. A uh, brilliant guy though. Mm-hmm. I think he was he was asked like, oh, what does what's dark energy? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, but that's that's actually the thing that was driving him. You know, I don't know. I want to fucking know. Right. Right. And so like, I felt like I was robbing that from the kids. I was like, wait a minute. Like I'm robbing them of that curiosity of what science is all about, of finding out something and figuring out the question. I'm just giving it to them now. And I think society likes to be spoon fed nowadays and they want to have that because it's such a short attention span. We're not actually sitting down and contemplating and, Mm -hmm. and, um, and it's okay to do that because I think we, you know, we live in this bubble be- and we do things because, again, we're not, we, we ignore death. So we're going to live forever, right? And we just live our way in this way that we're, that, that we're going to live forever. We don't bother looking at the things that are going to, uh, that mean that we're not going to live forever. So that means that anything that, spent, that we spend too much time contemplating on is just not worth mm-hmm. looking at. And um and that's totally the wrong way to to, right. to to look at life. Like you have even what where will we be if Isaac Newton didn't decide to dedicate his entire, entire life. fucking life to figuring out one thing? Right, failing and failing and yeah. failing and failing. Yeah, it's like you know the opposite of liking a photo. Like, Basically, imagine if you wake up and you have like a million unlikes, a million unlikes, <laughs> unlikes on yeah. your photo. That's yeah. what Newton's yeah. life was about. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You would wake yeah. up and you're like, oh, people are unfollowing me as okay, I yeah. as I exist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everything I say, no one agrees with. No one cares. Uh, um, but but yeah, I mean, he took his whole life to figure something out, and then and then when he figured it out or when he thought he figured it out, gravity, he says, actually, I don't know the rest of it. Somebody right. else is going to have to yeah, figure it out. It. And imagine someone doing that today. Is like, I mean, people do it today, but people like, crazy. like in a, in a, in a, in a, you know, in, in terms of our everyday social construct, like people, people are not, you know, imagine watching a video and then it doesn't, there's no like conclusion to it. And you're like, Oh, what, what? Oh wait, I got to figure it out myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I didn't like that one. Right. Right. It didn't tell me. Right. what it was about and uh and, um yes yeah, so yeah. i think we gotta so that's so we have to change the way we process information and the way we contemplate we gotta allow ourselves the time to contemplate we gotta understand that our time is finite yes but there's also a blip in the time scale of the universe and potentially multiverses it is absolutely nothing and you live 80 years God bless you. It's a long time to live, but it's absolutely nothing. There's nothing. It's not it's in no the amount of general time. history of yeah. the world. It's the amount of time it takes you to change the channel when you're watching TV. Right. In, in the 
human civilization relative scheme of things relative to just right the scale of everything because as humans i think i think it's only recorded that we've been here for seven thousand years but before that this this world has been and the reason i bring that up is because you uh, recommended that i read this book um called the chariots of the god or the chariot of the gods and it's been a pretty interesting read But before we go there, you know, you spoke about pyramid and we spoke about infinite, uh, you know, we spoke about space. Mm-hmm. Um, but how can we begin to talk about space when we do not know when space begins or ends, right? You know, um, space, space is a scary concept for people in the way that death is a scary concept for mm-hmm. people because they're metaphors for each other. Yes. That eternal darkness That's interesting. is very hard for people to accept and understand so the world that we live in today especially us here in the new york city area uh we're 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 very limited in terms Mm -hmm. of what we can see in terms of the night sky so we very rarely look up and um and 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 try to see stars or just under understand our position and then sometimes when we do it reminds us again of our finality and it's very scary to look at because then, it, hey, wait a minute. It may mean that this thing that I'm doing every day is meaningless or uh, worthless. And that is too heavy to accept. Uh, so I'd rather ignore it and then just continue living in this way. And, um, and hey, if it's a meaningful life, I think, you know, the, term, the, the phrase, uh, a quote or whatever it is, ignorance is bliss, is... It's um it's real, you know, when when you live you live a great life. I mean we had a uh we have a friend, I'm not gonna say his name, uh to not shout him out, but like I remember in college, like, you know, I'll be very meticulous. You're telling me to get here on this time, I'm gonna be there on time, I'm gonna be there at this you know, you, you we're supposed to do something, I'm gonna be there. And this friend lived life very casually, but shit always worked out for him and I would call him just just in time. You know what I'm talking about now. I said, she'd always worked out for him some way. And I'm like, I'm in the corner fucking pulling my hair out. And this guy gets to reap the same benefit or do the same thing. But he's just not caring about it the same way I am. So ignorance is bliss. You can live a very fruitful life without having all this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, 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 you know, if, it, if that energy is being directed towards mm-hmm. the right things. Of course you can. Uh, I'm not saying everyone needs to be a philosopher, astrophysicist, or astronomer, mm-hmm. uh, to a, or or you know, uh, uh, death focused to to kind of live live a good life. Because you can. I mean, hey, just just you know, I'm not saying that someone in the Amazon jungle is not living their best life right now. They could be. Right. Uh, um, but 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 you fucked me up with that because I, I think when you talk about the metaphor of death and space, yeah, it's like you know when you think some of us fear that when you die. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what you see. You see darkness, Nothing. and that's it. Nothing. Infinite darkness. Yeah. Nothing like, happens. Yeah. And that's you for the rest. What, what uh, does that mean? Whatever. Not even life. The rest of eternity. Yeah. And what does that mean? And you know, talking about what does that mean? When you look at the stars, when you look at the skies, especially at night, when you yeah. look at space, um, what do you see? What do you think? Mm. Uh, yeah, I'm an I'm amateur astronomer. I'm a member of the Amateur Astronomers Association in oh, New York. Let me find out you pledged. I've been... You pledged I've, another I've organization, been, man? You dropped your letters? I've been... 
kind of <laughs> semi obsessed with and with astronomy. So I'm I'm, a, I'm an astronomer in the way that Jay Z is an attorney. You know, so so I didn't pass the bar. Ninety nine problems. I didn't pass the bar, but I know a little bit. Right, I know right, a little right. bit. Um, uh, so that's hilarious. I mean, you know, astronomy was kind of like a a byproduct of of that other framework, the other frame of thinking, and and um, you know, and then you know, going into history and the pyramids, it kind of got me into astronomy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I started just realizing how. Minuscule, insignificant we are, yet the duality of we're also very rare. So it's like finding a small diamond, right? That diamond is still very rare and valuable, right? Uh, Even though take hell on earth to dig it up, right? Right. Or to or to find it, or 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 maybe people don't even know it's there, and maybe that diamond's existence is not uncovered until a thousand years from now, and and uh, uh um. But that's kind of how life is, you know, in, in, a, in a way, like with respect to the cosmos, like we're infinitesimal. We're, we're, you know, we think the way you think of an ant is the way that you have to think of yourself with respect to the universe right. you know, or the multiverse, if right. that exists. You know, like that, that's just the reality. Mm-hmm. We're on a planet. Not the biggest planet. <laughs> not the biggest planet. Orbiting a sun, right? In our galaxy, the Milky Way. And there's... And I may be wrong with this number, but I think there's 200, and 200 billion suns in our galaxy. 200 billion suns. We have one. And that shit can burn the hell out of your body, right? Like, like we're nowhere near it. We're 90 million miles from this thing. Right. But there's 200 billion more of those just in our galaxy. And then there's probably infinite galaxies. Mm-hmm. So less than an ant right. is where you are. But so far, very rare and precious. You know, so there's a... There's from a, what we know. From, from what, what we know. know. I mean, right. yeah, but there's, there's a... So, 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 you know, so the people that are afraid to think of that, you know, you also have to give yourself the pat on the back of thinking the other way. It's like, okay, we are, maybe what I'm doing is meaningless and it's worthless or whatever. And maybe this all ends in nothing or whatever, but it's also precious, exquisite and rare. Mm-hmm. And therefore I need to value it, mm-hmm. you know? And um, so there's a, there's a, there's a fear of, I have no value. But then there's the reality of, wait a minute, you are actually very valuable because, you know, as far as we know right now, popular understanding, this is, this is it. Mm-hmm. You know, we are what this, we are the exception in the known universe. Right. right. We are yeah. the exception. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think, you know, when we talk about Jupiter being the biggest planet sure. in, our, in our galaxy, right? Um, but you know, again, we're only talking about our own solar system. Our solar system. So it's like saying, which is a system within the galaxy. Right, so that right. just gives you the. Yeah, it's like saying, yeah. okay, like there's the big yeah. kid in the team. He's the biggest kid in the team, yeah. but he's not necessarily the yeah. biggest kid in every team. No, there's other teams. There's other yeah. teams. Yeah, and it's like okay, other like, teams in other states, and then like, there's other teams in other countries, and then there's right, you know, right, so right, yeah, yeah, right. So. But knowing that, again, you know, ignorance is bliss, right? And people live very happy lives. Yeah. 
being willfully ignorant, right? Yeah. But knowing that, how does that make you feel? Personally? Personally. And I think you've answered that already, but... Um, I mean, when I look at the stars, it makes me feel hopeful. I just look up there. Something I, else? And I just and I just look at... No, it's, it's not just... I mean, it's, it's hopeful for... You know, and maybe this goes against science and the the uh, uh, kind of the cosmology, astrophysics uh, uh, perspective of it, but it 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 makes me it makes me think of some type of you know divinity or or you know whether it's ours or of the creator. It makes me think of infinity and um, how, despite our physical death that there there's probably a energy that will persist and um and maybe that energy is not jose uh but something else and that's gonna fuel something else mm-hmm. we're we're carbon life forms and the carbon that we have in our body had to be forged in the heart of mm-hmm. a dying star right do you understand that? That what you have inside of you could only have come from the byproduct, the material, from a dying star in space somewhere that you would never see and never experience. Right? So that's how special we are. Uh, but at the same time, you know, or probably not special. I mean, no, no, not, <laughs> not, not probably not so. But but at the same time, you know, that's the duality of it. At the same time, you know, uh, uh, so small that, you know, but does a proton matter? Yes, it does, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't see it, you don't touch it, you don't feel it, you don't think about it, but it's there and it affects your life every day, whether you want it to or not, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, it's, and it has tremendous value and whether it's a, someone assigns the value to it or not. So, uh, again, you can see the metaphors, uh, right. uh, wherever you want to look for them because they're right, there. right, they're there. yeah, you know. And again, and you taking the time to actually like explore this and think about these things, and and many folks haven't, right? So it also questions, challenges this idea of what some folks say, where you know you want to be happy, well, you have to utilize your time um, properly uh, in order to make it, in order to make your life meaningful and mm-hmm. happy. And reality is. The more research you know, the more you know, the more you don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what I so said about the more Brian you Cox know, earlier. the more you know that yeah. Yeah. maybe life is less meaningful. That's I mean, I mean, not necessarily about the meaningful, yeah. but that's what I said about Brian Cox. Like, hey, dude, this guy's a fucking brilliant guy, and if you're gonna ask anybody questions about space, math, or whatever, you may yeah. ask this guy, but his answer to some things is like, well, ah, I don't like, know, I don't know, and, and it's okay, and that's okay, and that's and okay, it's okay. And, and, but that's that's that's. That's kind of the fear for some people. It's just right. like the I don't know part is like that's that can't be enough. We have to know. We must know, and I must be right. Right. And right. Um, you know that 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 is kind of like a been a purveying, uh, kind of thought virus in well, our in our culture over the last probably two thousand years. I don't want to call it thought virus, right? Yeah. But you and I, to some extent, because you just told me that. You only went to private school for high school, right? Yeah. But you and I, we have, you know, some Catholic upbringing. Yeah. Right? And do you believe 
that um, your belief in religion affects the way you re you perceive science. Yeah, I mean, yes, 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 and no. Um, because this 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 part of you that I think trusts the science, and then the other part of you that. Um, you know, so there's na nature and nurture, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So like you have you have this thing that you were born with, and then you have something that you get taught, and and so that's kind of like that 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 battle be behind it. I don't know if you know Brian Green, but Brian Green is a is a, a he's a professor at, at uh, Columbia, I think, and um, he teaches like physics and advanced science, advanced math, and shit like that, like just shit that we can't understand, right? Like like it's just like stuff. But uh, I remember watching an interview with him, and he he says something like, um, like, like yeah, if you were to ask me if there was a God, like, would I, you know, I'd probably say no. But while I do that, I also say I'm sorry, right? You know, so it's just like, so it's kind of like the same. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's kind, it's kind of like the same, the same thing for me. It's just like, uh, but yeah, do I, do I view it through that lens? Um, it's. Sometimes it's reassuring. It's just like, oh well, yeah, because then you start start trying to fit in your um, your your religious frame into this scientific frame, and then hoping or seeing that it fits. But part of me is also just understands that hey, it may not fit, and that's fine because we're not gonna understand everything. And something as complex as the cosmos, or even just something as complex as God, whether it's the same thing or not is we're probably not going to understand it. Right. And and that's okay. You yeah. know, and that's okay. So the way Brian Cox struggles his shoulders, he doesn't understand what the fuck dark energy is and that's fine and hey, I, I don't I don't know. I don't I don't understand. Um but that's fine. You know, that that's okay because as long as I keep thinking about it, contemplating it, then it's going to drive me towards that direction. And we have uh um you know, we have the the, you know, as a culture, as a human culture, we have the ability to maintain records for our, our, our future mm -hmm. selves. Right. And we have the ability to learn from our past selves all at the same time. So you have to find some sort of solace and acceptance in that, you know, you're, you're a step in a direction for someone, you know, someone else or just society. And um, accept that. And uh, uh, live that way. So I'm. I'm not. Though I can look at space and say, "Wow, look what God created." Uh, I can also look at space and and say, "You know, I you know I wonder how this was right. was right. manifested right." And 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 I don't and I. And that doesn't necessarily. I don't feel like those two things are in conflict right. with each other. Exactly. Right. I mean, you know. Yeah. Even though on paper they are. Of course, right? you know, you know, you would be one yeah. or I would be because I, I agree with you, you know. I don't know, fucking prodigy from Mob D would call us a, a shook one, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like we want to challenge but we also don't want to be sent to purgatory. No, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, you shook. Ain't no such thing as a halfway crook. But um again, you know, I think it's good. I think it's good for humanity. I think it's good for the future. We continue to challenge and we can you know, continue to question. Uh, I always question, does God exist because we believe in it? Mm. Or 
Does God yeah. exist because he actually exists, he right? Exists, yeah. and, and, you know, and because I asked that, you know, it doesn't mean I don't believe in God. No, you know, like, no, 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 I'm a no, shook one. No, <laughs> no, know, but, no, no, but, but this, 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 this is what again, it's about. It's about asking that question. And the way that Isaac Newton asked that question 200 years ago, right, and didn't, didn't get an answer until Einstein did it 100 years ago, and we still don't have an answer to some Einstein shit 100 fucking 20 years later, uh, um, you know, that's the way that it, that's the way that it works. So we, we contemplate some things, and we may not get to the end of it all, but guess what? We were never going to get to the end of it all to begin with. Mm. Uh, but but secondly, uh, um, you can you can get to a certain point that can leave someone else off to get getting a bit closer to it, mm. and that's and that's right. you know that's that's part of what that does for us. When we stop doing that as a culture, uh, as a human culture, then we stop pushing ourselves forward, mm-hmm. and 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 I I don't think that we as a society can continue to live in this immediate gratification everything must have an answer uh you must choose a side type of world i think that's very destructive uh towards uh free thought critical thinking and and just our ability to compound our knowledge the way that we have over the last five thousand years even though it may have been in reverse because you know not talking about those those advanced cultures from before right right yeah and about how far are we from that you know like right now like this illusion you Mm -hmm. know the antithesis of that is Mm -hmm. that we are the center of the universe (laughs) you know we're out here all you hear on social media in this country is country as if like we don't belong to a world. A world, yeah. which doesn't belong to a galaxy. Correct. It's like we're so short-sighted, so um, disillusioned by what's going on, how we exist, what's our role in yeah. this, in this, in this existence. But um, who knows, man? You know, maybe, maybe you can marry both space and God, and maybe you can argue that maybe God exists in another galaxy. You know, mm-hmm. maybe that's the heavens. Yeah, or dimension. Yeah. Or dimension. Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean that's, that's 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 certainly possible. We do not know. We <laughs> and do it's not, okay. We don't. And we, it's okay. Yeah, and it's, and it's okay. We we do not know. And so I think what scientists will probably say was, well, we can't measure it, so probably not. Mm-hmm. And and hey, that's your perspective, point of view, and that's fine. But maybe two hundred years ago, they couldn't measure what you can measure now, so they would have ruled out that. Right. And, um, and, you know, I, I personally feel that it's safe to say that there is some sort of metaphysical journey that we're all going on. Right. Uh, um, and that this is not just without reason uh, because everything is far too perfect for it mm. to not be that way, mm. you know? So, so like, when you asked the question about, like, how, how can you kind of do both science and religion? And, um, and uh, you know, I remember reading about a, about a priest read about, uh, I remember it was Einstein or the Hubble telescope's findings, but that he, when, when he finally learned that the universe is, is ex- expanding... But not just expanding, but expanding at a faster rate, meaning mm-hmm. that it keeps growing out. 
Uh, he was very happy to hear that because that means that when you look backwards, if it's expanding at a faster rate, then it means that when you look backwards, that it must have came from a singular point, mm. which we now say is like the Big Bang. Um, but for that priest, it was proof of a creator. Because mm. now, hey, if I go all the way back from this expansion, 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 I go back 13 billion years, billion years, then I can see the beginning of everything. And there was a bang. Sure, we don't dispute that, but something caused that bang. Mm. And that you don't know. And that is my religious mystery. And now it it, it been. So, you know, I think us as humans, we, we can find meaning wherever we want, mm. we, wherever we want to. Um, does God exist because we want him to exist? Or does he exist because he exists? Uh, or it exists, or God just exists. I, I mean, obviously, I don't know the answer to that. If right. I did, I'd be, you know, stinking rich right, right. now. Uh, right. <laughs> or, or just like floating on a cloud everywhere. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, speaking of God, you know, a, a few, you know, speaking of God, speaking of God yeah. right? Casually, oh, you know, we're talking about like just the supernatural. God is mm-hmm. a supernatural yeah. thing, right? Yeah. You know, you and I we spoke briefly about the chariot of gods. And in that book, it was quite interesting because uh, it was a philosophy, if mm-hmm. you will, that, yeah. I, that I don't ever recall ever being exposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was written by um, uh, Danikin. Danikin, yeah. right? Everyone, Danikin. He's one of the, you know, the writers or the, the thought-provoking, uh, you know, uh, theorists. That, yeah, uh, if, you, if you ever watch Ancient Aliens on, a, right. I think it's on History Channel or whatever, he's, he's, he's the guy that they always show when they say, ancient astronaut theorists right, 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 right. they show his picture and he's like eh, and he's talking about stuff right. uh, yeah he's he 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 looks for signs of uh, um intelligent life uh, outside interference of this world. right historically interference. so it's like hey look if we, if we look at the bible and we're reading some of these passages if you define a you know elijah went to heaven and ascended to heaven in a chariot of fire and what does that mean if you're an ancient person and you're describing a a uh, a, a, sh- a a spaceship? What would you describe it as, mm-hmm. right? The only vehicle you ever seen is a chariot, mm-hmm. and you never seen a jet propulsion system. So the fire must be, you know, the fire that's coming out of the chariot. So which is the rocket? Yeah, yeah. So that. he he has some real compelling arguments about how you know we could have society, human society, could have been. Um, uh, brought along uh, with extraterrestrial right. support, right. Uh, which I don't necessarily subscribe to, but appreciate right. uh, just from a, a perspective of critical thinking and analysis right. and, and, uh, and just looking at things and trying to find the meaning because they are mysteries, mm-hmm. right? No one knows the truth. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, even though we can kind of, laugh it off as as a oh well woo 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 but but it's it's also uh so that's that's crazy but believing there's a mystical being in the sky that chooses your eternal fate based on how you do for 80 years on earth uh is not crazy right right so right. so yeah i remember reading that book and just was like uh, it just helped me again to think uh, outside of the box. Think outside the box. Think outside the box, yeah. You know, so question everything. everything right. Everything. But you know, but you're not the only one who not only questions, 
you know, but there's others that I'll, you know, go a bit further and actually believe in what he said. Oh, believe yeah. in these mysteries yeah, and, yeah. and that um, yeah. there are these ancient astronauts that came uh, to this to this earth early on and made some significant contributions. Very compelling, yes. You know, I think, yeah. um, not I think, but I read a yeah. recent study uh, from Chapman University, I think it was mm-hmm. dated 2018, and they said that 41% of uh, American adults still believe it, still believe that uh, what he wrote about as far as there being ancient astronauts mm-hmm. to be true. I mean, it's, it's again, his case is very compelling. He uses some real evidence, and uh, not all of it is, is uh, uh, you know, metaphorical, like what I mentioned earlier about the chariot of fire, etc. Uh, some of it is just, you know, it's real. So it's real interesting to read, and um and then to think and it's like well how did our society advance all those years how did it don't we still haven't found the missing link in evolution we still haven't found that we don't know what took us to this right. intelligible uh, uh level of of humanity like we don't know uh that's a that's a mystery so when he comes with these compelling arguments about hey these were uh, um you know kind of ancient alien beings that were helping push us along um that some of it starts to make sense it's like wow like, like look look at that but you know someone may also say well you know like you said earlier god's supernatural so he's technically an alien right so maybe it's an alien and maybe god's the alien and so there's you know you could think of it right. in, in a number of different ways many different ways right? yeah yeah uh um but it's very again it's very Super interesting it's yeah. very compelling because you you you, li- you you read this and, and you know obviously there's people that read the Bible as literal you know literal word for word like this is real this is how it happened actually and then some people that look at it as allegory and they say okay well this is just a, a or a parable this is a this is a this is meant to teach you a lesson about something but this actually didn't happen this way mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I guess you know depending on how you look at it you could subscribe to that. Uh, philosophy one way or another but again it it is compelling especially when he starts uh, uh, looking at uh, uh, certain ancient cultures and and their their uh, uh, you know the remnants of those cultures and kind of the the what we call advanced knowledge right. that they had right. uh, especially when it came to astronomy right. which was essentially science and philosophy right. like everything like was you know, now we think of science and religion and philosophy and all these things as like different things, whereas before it was kind of almost all the same thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, and these people had some very complex knowledge right. that, that, that your modern, everyday your everyday person today cannot comprehend. Even with the resources of many different countries mm-hmm. at their disposal, no, they cannot comprehend. You right. cannot you cannot understand how an ancient person knew the speed of light. Right. Or that, you know, how without the aid of a telescope, they knew that there were planets beyond, you know, the view of the naked eye or right. or stars that dwarf stars that rotated around uh, uh, stars that we could visibly visibly see. Like, how did they how did they know about these things? Someone must have given them that. That, that knowledge and then when you and then you want to add to that who built you know there's no sufficient explanation to describe to uh, help us understand who built the great pyramids we don't know I mean they attribute it to a 
uh, I think it's Coffrey. Um, but but yeah, I mean nobody really knows, and also they don't know what it purpose is served. Right. So for years, even as a child, I thought it was like a lot of people think a tomb. Oh, these or like rich Egyptians yeah. that wanted to these you know, pharaohs come out of life, they're with this hubris and their ego was right. so huge mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that they demanded construction of these pyramids. But it's like, oh, uh, okay, there's no proof that this was ever a a a, a place to, to house the dead. Actually, the the pharaohs were housed in the Valley of the Kings, even the ones contemporary, uh, uh, or that we would think would be would would want a pyramid or be housed in a pyramid. And then why does the technology get worse as time goes down instead right. of better? If we built the pyramids five thousand years ago, why don't we have better pyramids today right, right why right. can't we figure out how they did it but right? but also just the practical considerations as far as how remote these pyramids were and how long it would take for manual labor oh. for people to actually carry yeah. the stones everything that you yeah. needed to build those pyramids yeah. you know it, but also like in peru you know when it came to like the caves and what the drawings that they found mm. and they were very similar again this is me i'm not I'm not saying this is true or not, They're, but I find it interesting. No, you know, drawings of, of, of what appears to be astronauts. Yeah. You know, and um, were they, is this a coincidence? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But also, I also don't want to fall victim to what we talk about when we when we talk about folks that always want to have an answer to everything. Mm-hmm. You know, You know, us coming to the conclusion that, you know what, maybe these were... Uh, you know, extraterrestrials just because we yeah. don't have an answer yeah, to yeah, who yeah, built yeah, these yeah. things. No, I, I understand you know? that. So, yeah, but I, I think I think the answer doesn't matter. I think the thought behind it is what matters. Mm-hmm. It's exactly. Just the, the dialogue behind it, the argument. Whether it's true or not true, um, and, and I mentioned earlier, you know, I said a couple of times that I think of life past, present, and future. Um, but... You know, as much as the past teaches us, it doesn't have to direct us. Mm. So, you know, it's very, it's going to be worth it to know the answers to some of these things. But it's not altogether crucial if we just continue to question it. Right. You know, because the continuing to question it may ultimately get us there. But if it doesn't, it's fine. As long as we continue to question it, because then we'll keep growing right. spiritually, mentally, and un- and understanding things. There's obviously mysteries about the past that we do not know, or someone knows and does not want to tell, tell us. us. Right. Yeah, right. and there, and it's obvious because again, you have this pyramid who's standing there, which which I I believe. Don't quote me on this, but is the last of the the eight wonders of the world mm-hmm. of the ancient world. And it survived throughout this whole time. Right, right. And it's damn near perfect. And and it's at the dead center mass of the 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 Earth's uh, uh, um, landmass, mm-hmm. dead center. And and uh, and I think it was its slope is like the speed of light. And it's like all these things that are just like, how the fuck? Right, right. I'm like, what? Yeah. Slave labor did this? Right, but it's a mindset. 6,000 years ago? It's Without a, 
Yeah. Without a steel, without metal, mm-hmm. uh, they were supposed to do this with bronze chisels. Right, and these were supposed to be, well, in some cases... For without the wheel? the wheel? Without the wheel, right. What? Without a mobile, without a car, without a truck, without... What the fuck are you yeah. talking about? Yeah. You know, and it's a mindfuck because here we are, because we know how, you know, culture, how, how dominant cultures have hijacked narratives, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we also think about folks, you know, the older Egyptians or, the, you know, the Mayans uh, to some extent, or should I say somewhat the way they're depicted in history books as, somewhat, mm-hmm. as savages, right? Um, so we also have to read through the hijacking of the narratives. Oh, yeah. Ethnocentrism. Oh, you know, we have to read yeah. through the yeah. through the racism. Yeah. Uh, you know, also through my own scientific literacy, right? Yeah. Because I'm not well-versed in science, right? Yeah. So we have to go through all of that and then also questions. So it's just a lot that we're going through. Because who knows? Maybe, maybe the Egyptians were that smart to build those pyramids. Yeah. It, 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 it could have been, but, but I think sometimes, you know, just as someone who loves history, particularly Egyptology, I mean, I think sometimes it's really lost on us how special that culture was. When we think of the United States, mm. you're talking about 250 years, 260 years, and that the the Egyptian culture and dynasties that connect, you're talking about thousands of years. Mm. Thousands of years. And it's just like, uh wow, like we don't we don't we don't give enough uh understanding or credit to that culture, what they did and right. where where maybe they came from and uh and uh what what that was so I, you know Eric Van Donneken probably thinks that hey, some alien came and gave them the technology and right. they created the pyramid and the pyramid was maybe like an energy source or a beacon for people that come right. from other galaxies right. or whatever hey I don't fucking know I wasn't right. there I don't know what it does right. I, I, I definitely don't know but but yeah I mean we don't we don't give it enough enough thought or credit right and um and but but yet we're the greatest civilization or country right. on earth. Exactly, yeah. and then you know, and then again, it makes you question, like yeah. like uh, you know, Von Von uh, Von Zanikin. Zanikin, where was he from? I think he's Swedish. Okay, all right, Swedish. Okay, if I'm not mistaken, okay, if I'm not I, I don't know. I don't. Who know. knows what were his biases, his prejudices? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, um, you know, again, describing these these uh, Mayans as so-called savages yeah. is a part of Western literature, like yeah, yeah. it's something that that is always seen um so it wouldn't be rare for them to not describe them as architecturally gifted mm-hmm. but more like folks that don't have the capacity the capabilities to actually do something like carve beautiful drawings mm-hmm. on a cave mm-hmm. um you know to emulate some cultural uh phenomenon that was you know occurring during that time so we we just don't know but I think what you and I agree on, what we have agreed on for the most part, is we have to continue asking these questions. You gotta ask the questions. You can't be dogmatic in your perspective. You don't know the answer. Yeah. No matter what was drilled into you from your birth, you do not know the answer. That's something that I um, appreciate my mother did for me, which was... She didn't baptize me when I was born. Mm. She didn't. She took us to a lot of different types of 
uh, um, religious institutions um, and uh, taught us about God but didn't didn't force us mm. to believe in any particular uh, specific uh, uh, um, path as the right mm. path. There's something um, very comforting in the construct of religion, and I think that religion has immense value uh, to our cultures as humans. Um, but I also think that that it is uh, you know it limits some people from really looking at uh, the whole picture mm. because they only choose to see one side of it just like if I'm looking at that artwork behind you and I only see keep out and I'm just focusing on keep out uh, but I'm not looking at the whole message you know I could perceive that you having this sign that says keep out Mexicans means that you don't want Mexicans in here right because now I'm perceiving it that way but I'm not looking at it as hey you're making a statement based on this whole picture uh, um, I just want to look at take take this piece and make it real and I'm going to hold on to it and mm. not drive this point home with everybody uh, um, you know I think we gotta we gotta look at things a lot differently and, and I think that we're in a point in society where we should no longer need the answers spoon fed to us mm. we should no longer need textbooks that show us how the pyramids were built if we know we don't know how they were yeah, built right we should no longer need dogma um, spoon-fed to us uh, from anywhere uh, because we should be able to either make up our own minds or just ex accept that there is not an answer mm. that you will get to in your life, and that's okay. Because mm. you could you know, still live your life fully and with meaning without having the truth 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 of it all you know I, I, I um I had a you know Jehovah's Witness come knock on your door I live in a house and they come and they knock on your door and they sit down and they want to talk to you uh um and Eliza laughs cause cause she she knows that I'm 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 the person that's like oh you want to talk let's come on in let's have this whole conversation and I remember I had this conversation, and um, and uh, and uh, uh, one of this Jehovah's Witness lady, she came in, and she had this young girl with her, and she's you know kind of like prognosticating, and she's giving me her spiel, and you know you know one hundred forty four thousand, and the chosen, and all of this or whatever, and I'm like okay, all right, we're having this conversation, and then I just start, you know, just asking her, you know, well, you know, these are some questions that I have, and uh, you know, she was just like. You know, even though we were, you know, she she had a limited English, but we were still sp speaking her in Spanish, me in English. I know Spanish, but it was more, it was more comfortable for me to get across my concepts in English, uh, and her, for her in Spanish, and we were kind of talking for twenty, thirty minutes or whatever. And after a while, she was like, "I'm gonna come back with someone that speaks better English." Yeah. <laughs> and uh, guess what I haven't had a Jehovah's Witness knock in my ass <laughs> probably for like five years they probably put a fucking big X on that 
Uh, don't go back. This person asks critical questions. Uh, um, but yeah, I think that we need we need to we need to get past that uh, point where we think we have the real answers right. because you don't. Right, right, you right, don't. right. And I think we have to arrive there by just looking at things holistically, right? Looking at things holistically, and again, contemplating and and understanding the answers that you're gonna get for yourself. And I know that that's hard when we talk about society and seven, eight billion people and perspectives and point of views and and um, you know how do you how do you come to a a consensus? How do you live in a society if People are not like-minded, right? Um, and that's scary. Well, you know, but that also acknowledges that that also forces you to acknowledge your privilege because if people are not like-minded, uh, there has to be a reason for that. And many of us come from different circumstances, yeah. different situations. How mindful are you of your own privilege? The fact that we're able to have this conversation. Oh no, I mean, I mean, I'm almost. I mean, I'm not gonna say every day, but almost every day. Yeah, I mean, I I know, I know where my parents came from, I know where I was raised, I know, uh, you know, I know the struggles of those people around, uh, where I was where I was raised. I know that some people don't have the privilege just to do what I'm kind of advocating for them to do. Hey, I can't mm. see, I can't see farther beyond my child needing food and that's hey that's your reality and that's right. that's real and i can't knock you for that and i'm not gonna expect for you to do more than just provide for your child um so yeah i'm definitely cognizant of my of my privilege and just the fact that i'm able to do this and have this level of thought because maybe my mom and my dad didn't because mm. their their i their thoughts all had to be focused on providing a better life right, right. for their children and an education, and they didn't have time to, they didn't have the the the, the privilege of being able to uh, uh, contemplate their position in the grand scale of the universe. Like that's a big fucking privilege. Right, that's course. a big privilege. Of course, because you think our our ancestors had that privilege? No, it's. I'm not going to get eaten by a bear fucking lion. You know what I mean? Like, that's all I'm thinking about. You know, uh, uh, whereas, you know, uh, you know, today I, I have that, I have that privilege. I have that definitely. So that's a, that's something that does not, does not escape me. But, but I think, and you shouldn't allow it to escape you, but you shouldn't allow it to escape others because you have an opportunity, I feel, to share that privilege yeah. And you could do that through your art. So yeah. with that, I ask you, what's next for your art? What should we expect from you? Well, um, you know, I'm I'm almost at a, uh, done with the final editing of uh, the book that I will release. Mm. Um, so that will be coming very soon, and I'm I'm looking for. Uh, probably like a you know a winter release date certainly so somewhere between this december february uh, i have a good brother uh um uh, crespo working on on some art uh for the for the book so that's that's going to be finalized and then we'll we'll have the book out uh but really my 
my goal with that is just to not be critical with myself and just uh, put in as much as I can get out there and um, share it with people uh, for the reasons that I wanted to share it and and hopefully have someone get something out of and if uh, and have people thinking uh, differently mm. uh, about their day-to-day lives and seeing the 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 value in the little things of and understanding both their the gift that we've been given of life and the lessons the gift that we've been given of of death because mm. it is it is a gift it's a sad painful gift for the people that are left behind mm. you know for the ones that are gone we don't necessarily know but what we know is that there's a lesson with that you learned that with your grandmother i learned that with my grandfather um and i hope that people are learning that every day with all the, the people that continue to be impacted by this uh, uh disease that's, that's going around um so that that i think is the the future with that and um and then i will probably leave that alone i'm not a poet in that sense where i see myself writing anthologies of poetry um uh i don't know who knows uh but this is more like you know something that i need to get out and i hope that people are receptive to it and um and i will be giving copies out and i hope that people read it um if only just to gain a new perspective Mm. my brother my brother where can we find you uh, find me in the Bronx, baby. <laughs> I'm in the Bronx. I'm, I'm out and about. You, you can like me. IG, you Twitter. See me, you see me. Let them know uh, so that people are aware of when this beautiful art, uh, this yeah, beautiful I mean, dark, on, on Instagram. Art is about to you come can out. you can follow me at the most interesting man in the world. No G, interesting man in the world. So the hood way. Uh, and so you, you could, you could find, uh, the, the, the work there, uh, when I'm, when I'm, uh, posting it and I got a bunch of stuff that I've written on there, uh, for people to, to digest. I love feedback anytime and always. So if you happen to read something and it catches your eye or it, or it moves you in certain, some way, I definitely like to, to hear, uh, um, people's interpretation of the art, um, because it, it gives me new perspectives. Because mm. uh, I, I had my own perspective when I maybe put something down, uh, but I think it's important to also understand what other people think think about it. Mm. I, you know, I love art for that reason because you could just, you know, uh, have a million different perspectives on mm. on one thing, and we're okay with that in the sense of art, but we're not okay with that in our society. We need the real answer, mm. you know, which is. Uh, 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 unfortunate but hopefully um you know our society can lean more heavily on that uh creative side of the brain um especially as we come into this potentially tumultuous time in the coming weeks right right with the elections yeah Uh, but you don't have any twitter right i do not have twitter no okay Uh, i don't i don't that's probably a good thing just in the bronx and on instagram those are probably the two Two My brother, that's funny because it's me. Hit the name was the Bronx Bomber. The Bronx Bomber. Yeah, I've been repping the Bronx since I've been in the Bronx. But now you're the most interesting man in the world. Yeah. And today you just lived up to that name, brother. I had fun. Hopefully. 
you know, these are the kinds of interactions, conversations that made me want to do a podcast. Amen. You know what I'm saying? So I love you. Love Thank you, you for being brother. here. Thank you. Especially when you were scheduled for tomorrow, but you came through today. Yeah, I was. <laughs> and you know, I mean, I'm uh, <sighs> like, I, I, I mean, obviously, I mean, we've had thousands of conversations over our lives. So, so it's strange to have any type of anxiety to just have a conversation. Obviously, these are different circumstances. Right. But I'm almost glad that it happened this way. And again, right. like I said, I look at the metaphors of life. And for me, uh, the reason why when I almost told you, let's do it another time, I was like, no, I'm just going to let's let's just do it is because of, uh, you know, for me, the metaphor was, uh, you know, always make yourself uncomfortable. So, right. so hey I was trying to prepare and it's like why am I preparing for a conversation I've had a thousand times you know that's that's a uh, what I what I took from this so I, I appreciate you fucking that up <laughs> because it helped me gain a better perspective and, and hopefully it gave uh, uh, people a better perspective a different perspective when they listen to it that's good to hear man because I thought you really just came because sushi was on me <laughs> I mean, that's part of it, man. Some, <laughs> some good, good sushi. Okay. My brother, my brother. Till next time, man. Thank you for being here. Salud. Thank Salud. You.